This summer, Coors Light wants you to retire, even if it's only temporary. Take a break from your nine to five for nine holes of golf. Trade those spreadsheets for a bingo card. Or swap your office chair for a water aerobics floaty. This summer, welcome to temporary retirement. Coors Light, made to chill. Copyright 2023, Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Celebrate responsibly. Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast. A production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. All right, welcome into the show. Judah Newby and Stephen Fawn in for John Kanzano today. So much to get to. And your calls at 503-417-7575. Jonathan Smith officially introduced today at Michigan State. Gave his introductory press conference. Gotta say, he looked uh, a little uncomfortable. He looked like a man in conflict delivering his opening comments in East Lansing. Talk about that, plus Dan Landing audio ahead of Friday's Pac-12 title game. Can Oregon get the job done again against UW? and avenge the October 14th loss in Seattle. They might have to look good to do it because college football playoff rankings come out today at 4 o'clock. We'll bring you those live. I'm really curious to see where Oregon stacks up relative to the top four. If they leap above Ohio State, where is Alabama in that mix as well? And what happens if Alabama beats Georgia on Saturday? A lot of drama involved there. 503 417 Judah Newby and Stephen Vaughn in for John Cazzano today right here on the Bald Face Truth. Stephen, let's start with Jonathan Smith and uh, his introductory press conference today at Michigan State. We'll play some of the some of the audio here. We'll play it throughout the show as well. And uh, he w- he seemed like a man in conflict. He seemed like someone that was um, definitely a little unsure of himself. Now, that could be just because he's not great in front of a microphone. He he's a, he can be endearing when he's at a place like Oregon State and we get used to him, but he is not a polished public speaker. <laughs> that that's for damn sure. And uh and he looked a little uh edgy today and, and a little un, uncertain of himself. And I don't know if he's going to have success at Michigan State, but uh this is what Jonathan Smith uh was talking about earlier today when he was introduced and he's Lansing for the first time and he got emotional when he was thanking his family. Most importantly, and I thought I did this gonna be tough, but I gotta thank this crew right right in front of me. These decisions are not easy. Um, I wanna chase championships at the highest level, but at the same time, create an atmosphere for my family to be special. And uh, that's why I go back to this fit. I appreciate you guys, Candace, Robert Bella and Charles, for coming along and believing in this ride that we're undertaking. Uh, So thank you. If there was anything that was going to keep Jonathan in Corvallis, I thought it would be his, his family saying, we got to stay here. We got roots here. We got the three kids coming up They're you know, got their friends, got their school. We got the community. Uh, But that did not stop the Smith family. Uh, They decided let's, let's uproot. Let's plant some new roots. That's a tough thing to do, but it it really sounded like uh, they, they made it. Uh, that decision together. Jonathan also talked about whether or not the uncertainty regarding the PAC two conference and conference realignment in general, did that play any role whatsoever in his decision to leave Oregon state for uh greener pastures, pardon the pun 
with Michigan State? Not a major factor. Like I, I tried to describe it to to my team. Look, yeah, instability, conference realignment, all of this stuff. There was some brewing in me of the idea of going somewhere if the fit was right and just being really selective on that. And so, yeah, other opportunity here or there wasn't interested just the more engaged in conversation with Michigan State I got more and more excited about it um I do look you know me I'm a West Coast guy and all that Pac-12 conference the championship I, I think it is kind of sad in general for that thing to blow up with the history of that place I go back to where I was born and raised going to Rose Bowl and Big Ten's playing the Pac-12 and all of that but I'm genuinely excited to be a part of the Big Ten part of this place um and so that excitement just grew on me so two things out of uh, Jonathan Smith, and we'll play some more audio throughout the show. Uh, number one, is he going to succeed at Michigan State? Is he going to win there? What does that look like? I want to talk about that a little bit today. And number two, do you root for him? Or do you root against him? When Mario Cristobal left Oregon, he at least had the class to call into the radio show the day he left. I will never forget that. Never forget that when Mario Cristobal left for the Miami job. It's where he grew up. It's where he had family ties. It's where his mom was getting older and she was getting in, in ill health. But Mario built up Oregon to the place where it was going to be an annual Pac-12 and potentially college football playoff contender, and he left for his dream job. This is not that. And Jonathan Smith has been putting his foot in his mouth ever since he, ever since Friday night, and uh, with his players more intimately. Apparently, he has not been truthful with them. He came on the show with John Canzano on Wednesday last week in an interview that's since gone viral, and was like, "Yeah, I'm trying to be truthful here." Well, his players have basically been saying that he hasn't been as truthful to them. Uh, you had Aiden Childs tweeting on Saturday morning an emoji of the disguise face, the face that's wearing a disguise, as if Jonathan Smith was, you know, wearing a disguise in front of Aiden Childs. Aiden Childs tweeted again around noon this afternoon uh, another emoji, just the cry face emoji, double tears, both eyes, just crying. I don't know what the next steps for Aiden Childs is if he follows Jonathan to East Lansing. Or what that looks like for him. Or if he'll stay put in Corvallis. Which it sounds like Damian Martinez is staying put in Corvallis. So a lot to unpack here. But I want to offer two branches to you. One, is Jonathan Smith going to win at Michigan State? And what does that look like? Oh, and by the way, Michigan State at Oregon. October 5th next year. Can't can't wait for that game. That's the next, or that's the uh, opening Big Ten home game for the Oregon Ducks. Is against Jonathan Smith and the Michigan State Spartans. And number two, uh, will you root for him? Will you root for Jonathan Smith? Is this just some of that like raw, you know, anger for now, but it will eventually thaw out and you'll eventually root for Jonathan Smith at Michigan State if you're a Beaver fan? 503-417-7575. Or is this too much for you? I mean, we had great calls all throughout the show yesterday. People hit on every one of the emotions that you could be feeling. Some Beaver fans saying, hey, we don't hold this against him at all. It makes all the sense in the world. I'll be rooting for him. Another Beaver fan saying, dude, are you kidding me? Like, you said you were trying to be truthful, but you were lying to your players the whole time. I think the truth is somewhere in the middle with it. Like, it's really hard 
to take a new job when you're under contract as a college football head coach and be truthful with everybody. I mean, it's really difficult to do that. So 503-417-7575, Stephen, your thoughts out of the Jonathan Smith introductory press conference. Yeah, I mean, he he usually never comes off as this nervous, right? Like, And I feel like that's one of the things where public speaking is a hard thing and he's not the best at it, but he seemed a little more nervous than he always usually is, which I'm not going to hold it against him. I mean, a brand new place, you know, everybody's watching to see what he has to say, um, but, you know, for me, I don't have a problem with him leaving Oregon State. And what this means to me is he doesn't like the direction that the Oregon State is choosing to go about and try to be in the Mountain West. And he's upset that they're not going to be in the Pac-12 because he said numerous times he wants to compete and coach at the highest level. Well, the Mountain West is not the highest level in college football. We can all agree on that. But the Pac-12 technically was, right? It's a Power 5 conference. It's one of those five conferences. So if he's at Oregon State, it doesn't matter if he can compete for college football playoff bursts or not. He's in the top conferences in the nation. He's going to be in that in the Big Ten. So that's what he wants to do. He wants to be that. So that says to me, he doesn't like the direction Oregon State's going to be. He doesn't think Oregon State's going to get back into a Power Four conference. He's too good to coach in the Mountain West. And for that reason, I get it. Like, get a pay bump, get to a spot where, you know, a team that has made a college football playoff, Michigan State has done that uh, in their history. Like, I don't blame him at all. But I also don't blame Oregon State fans for being upset about it because. All that he said was, you know, he, he didn't want to leave. Um, you know, it, it happened the day after the Civil War. Like, that hurts a little bit. But it's one of those things, Judah, where it's like, we should have seen this coming, right? Like, we, it, we saw it coming after the interview with Kanzano last week, right? He basically said, I'm out without saying he's out. He's like, my agent's out there looking. We should have just known. We should have done the math right there and said, okay, Jonathan Smith's out. But we could have gone all the way back to uh, the, the the start of practices in the fall. Do you remember this? When they first announced that Oregon, Washington, leaving the Big 12, or the Pac-12 to go to the Big 10, this was him at practice. He was mad. You could tell it in his voice. He was very angry with the decision. And I think it's like he knew at that moment, I got to go somewhere else because at Oregon State, I'm not going to be able to coach at the highest level. Quick comment. Sounds like there's uh, more and more reports, uh, even while we're, we're going through practice on uncertainty, uh, realignment, things of that nature. I just I'll echo what we talked about as a team last night. What we have in front of us is certain, and these guys have built this program and worked so hard to allow this to be a huge distraction. We're not gonna, we're not gonna do it. Awesome practice today and practice two. Guaranteed practice three tomorrow. Guaranteed an awesome home schedule. Big time opponents on the road this season, 2023. Um, and so that's where we're locked in on. Obviously, plenty of questions. Uh, and to be totally honest, at this moment, walking off the practice field, I'm not going to have many answers for you. We'll be in the near future be able to talk more on this. But this team is locked in and excited about the idea of playing a 2023 schedule with a roster that has worked so hard. Couldn't be more excited. And the idea of going into Research Stadium that is going to be brand new. It is going to be rocking like it's never before. Uh, never has before. So we're looking forward to that. He was pissed. He was pissed. And he kept mentioning 2023. That is just this year only. He wasn't going into the future. We should have seen it coming from a mile away. So it doesn't surprise me that he's going to be gone and going to Michigan State. And I don't blame him for doing it either because, you know what, when I'm a coach like Jonathan Smith and I'm on that level, I want to coach at the highest level, and I think that's what he's going to give Michigan State. So he's got he's going to make $7.25 million uh, this next year at Michigan State. Uh, that's up from $4.85 million that he was making uh, this past year at Oregon State. 
that number, I mean, obviously it's a significant pay bump. He's also getting a seventh year at Michigan State, and apparently the Spartans added on that seventh year as they got wind that there may be other schools that were starting to contact Jimmy Sexton, Jonathan's agent, maybe Mississippi State, maybe Texas A&M, who ultimately settled on Mike Elko, their former defensive coordinator, is coming back to College Station. The assistants coming with Jonathan uh, looks like Jim Machalczyk in all likelihood will go. Brian Lindgren in all likelihood will go. I'm not sure if anything's been made official on that front quite yet, but um, it, it should be a matter of time. As for what that means with Oregon State, well, pretty much everything that, that you're reading, everything that's out there, and of course, uh, for me uh, personally, I'm reading John Gazzano.com because that's where I get, get them facts. Uh, as soon as Wednesday, as soon as tomorrow, this this hire will be official. And if I had to handicap it, Stephen, I would say that Trent Bray is the favorite at, um, man, what what even odds would you put that at right now? Would he be like uh, minus 250? I mean, he's got to be the favorite. I mean, <laughs> is that the right hire, though? I, I really question that. You know, Brent Brennan, I think, is another guy that you can look at, a San Jose State coach. He coached at Oregon State uh, a while ago. Even in the Jonathan Smith presser, he mentioned Paul Christ, how he, that's how he got brought up was with Paul Christ. He could be an option, but I, I don't, is Trent Bray ready to take that jump and be the head coach? I understand you want to have the cohesiveness that you had these last couple of years with Jonathan Smith and bringing in Trent Bray. It's going to be a smoother transition. You can hopefully leave, you know, get a lot of the returners back. They don't hit the portal, but I don't know, man. Trent Bray is a very young coach. It's a very, uh, very, I, Risky hire, I guess, isn't the right word, but it's a high high floor, high ceiling, or low floor, high ceiling, higher if it is Trent Bray, if that's the guy. Like, because we just don't know what he is as a coach. It's, he's only been a coordinator for, what, one and a half years, something like that? Like, I don't know. It seems a little early, but, you know, it's probably, he's probably the guy if uh, he's going to be the head coach tomorrow. 503-417-7575. Give me your thoughts on uh, the Beavers potentially hiring uh, Trent Bray. The other candidates, of course, like you mentioned, Brett Brennan, Paul Christ, a uh, list of seven candidates. Who else was uh, among the, the seven that uh, John was reporting on earlier today? Uh, but the big three were Trent Bray and uh, and Brent Brennan, that's for sure, and uh, a little bit of Paul Christ, which <laughs> I just I laugh thinking about that. I mean, you, you can't get away from some of these guys with Oregon State ties. I mean, all of them have Oregon State ties, including Paul Christ. I mean, he was Smith's first offensive coordinator in 98. And by the way, you know, some of this for me, just on a personal level, is, like, I didn't go to Oregon State or Oregon, you know, as a student. I am from McMinnville. I've grown up around the rivalry my entire life. I've said that my favorite day of the year has always been the Civil War, especially when it's on Black Friday. It's just magic, man. It's it's magic. And I, I love that. And I've had gone to my, some of my best friends were diehard Beeb fans growing up and another group of fans that were diehard Duck fans growing up. I mean, if I'm just looking to pass the time some some days, I will go on YouTube and rewatch the 98 Civil War. I'll go rewatch the 07 and 08 games with everything on the line in those games. Uh, I will go and, and rewatch even the 2016 games sometimes just because it's, it's, uh, it's fun to see Ryan Null go for, for three touchdowns. I mean, the in-state rivalry has just meant so much. And then ironically, Jonathan Smith in his presser today, what was one of the things that he pointed out at Michigan State? They have an annual in-state rivalry game against Michigan that he is looking forward to playing in. And that was not guaranteed at Oregon State. Yeah, there's been reporting. There's been momentum that the Ducks and Beefs would 
maybe play in September. Are you kidding me? Only at Autzen Stadium. Only at Autzen. And I just thought that was interesting that he would point out that factor, the consistency of an in-state rivalry being important to the job that he was taking and also being a reason for obviously one of the one of the factors in why he left. Well, that's one of the questions I have is like, if the Pac-12 stayed together, I have no doubts in my mind that Jonathan Smith's at Oregon State still. I, I really don't. Like, I think the whole thing that the Pac-12 crumbled under George Klyovkov, they couldn't get the media deal, and then all these schools left, that's what's making Jonathan Smith leave to go to Michigan State. I, he mentioned that he's a West Coast guy. I don't think he wants to leave. He had it great in Corvallis. If they win seven games, he gets an extra year bumped on his contract. They love him there. He brought the program from nothing. But now they're going to be in the Mountain West. Like, he doesn't want that. He wants to be at the highest level. Whether he's going to win it all or not, that, it doesn't matter to him. He wants to just coach at the highest level, and I think it really is a problem uh, with that. 503 417 Let's go out to uh, Charlie in Vancouver. He's got a take. Hey, Charlie. Dude, I'm glad you waited a while because I always agree with you, and I think you just have a lot of class. But um, I thought we kind of jumped on Jonathan at the beginning of the show when we said Mario at least had class and Jonathan didn't call. He's been so generous to this program. And before Thanksgiving, when he did that interview, I called up and said that was the most honest interview I've ever heard because he told us he was basically leaving. And we can't have it both ways, I don't think. I think if he would have lied to us and said, hey, you know, blah, 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 I'm a beaver, blah, 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 none of that's true, blah, 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 my agent, blah, blah, none of that, then we'd be calling him a liar now. And I don't know. I think he it was a. I think if he told us that much, I think he told his players. He didn't say, "Hey, I'm going," because he can't. Because some of them would have leaked it. But he would have said. I mean, if he told if he told us, he told them at least. You know, hey, I'm listening. To, like he did in the fall. Stephen, you covered it when you said, "Hey." I mean, if you listen to his interview when he said. Um, we'll play Oregon if it's fair. Well, you know they had already had that discussion, and Oregon had already said, hey, we're only playing you at home. That was his way of saying, hey, they're trying to screw us every which way. I'm out. I mean, he signed up to be a Pac-12 coach. He did not sign up to be a Big West or whatever they call it coach, Mountain West or whatever they're going to call that league. And it's not fair for us to expect him to take a level down for winning 10 games or whatever they won this year. They had a great season. I don't think that would be fair at all. Um, I'm going to miss him. I hope they win. I think he'll do whatever, if they give him the time, I think he'll do what he did at Oregon State. He'll go the slow way, and he'll teach, and he'll take lesser players and make better players out of them, and they'll be competitive. I don't know if they'll be great, because it is a tough league, but I think they'll be competitive. Yeah, I appreciate the call. I think that you are right. Mario did not say the right things, and there was just so much um, rumblings about the Miami job when it opened. And, like, we knew, right? I mean, we, we just knew Mario to Miami had uh, a ton of potential. But we didn't know that – I mean, it wasn't obvious to me, and maybe shame on me, it wasn't obvious to me that Michigan State was the awesome no-brainer job. I mean, Miami was the – yeah, at least for Mario, the awesome no-brainer job for him to leave Oregon. Well, and same so, with Willie Taggart, too. And same with uh, with Willie T at, at Florida State. Man, we've seen some things around here. But, so w- with that in mind, like, anything Mario said in the lead-up to that Pac-12 title game and coming out of the uh, Civil War with Oregon State that year, you know, we, we all were taking it with a massive grain of salt, and he looked pretty bad because he wasn't being all that honest and truthful about it, you know, at least it didn't seem that way. So here comes Jonathan, you know, contrasting Jonathan's appearance with Kanzano last week. 
And you're right, Charlie. Like, it was a pretty honest interview in the sense that he was trying to be truthful. He deflected to his agent. He said, yeah, my agent best be, you know, looking for opportunities in the next step for me out there. I mean, I'm paying him enough, right? And, um, you know, there was a there was a little bit of, of, uh, of joking there, but there was also transparency to a degree. Where I push back a little bit is everything that I'm seeing from the players. This is Aiden Childs. This is Damian Martinez. And a little bit DJU as well. It doesn't sound like they knew at all that he was leaving for sure. In fact, Aiden Childs tweeted the disguise face emoji on Saturday morning. That's what you use when you're saying somebody's two-faced. I mean, I can't I mean, confirm Damian more than Mar- I, I'm too old for that. I don't know what that means. Oh, I Googled it, to be, <laughs> to be fair. I did have to Google it. And Damian Martinez tweeted and basically has told other reporters in the market, he said, look, coach told me within the last month that he was staying. That he was staying. That's a different conversation than... I might be leaving or I you know I don't know yet. He could have said I don't know yet. Damian Martinez is is telling other people that Jonathan Smith told him he was staying. So that is not really being transparent with your players. And to me, you know, that is a little bit of a problem. The well, other side of it is as a head coach, I mean, do you even have the ability to be transparent with your players i mean otherwise it's going to get out and you know game over for your for your job if you, chances dude, if you're an oregon state diehard fan does that rub you the wrong way that he you know apparently is i mean i, I wouldn't say it's lying to his players like i don't think he can well, say you, you said that college football coaches are paid liars they're paid liars they are all these guys in sports are like you can't come out and say yeah i'm going to be looking for other jobs when you're talking to damian martinez a month month left in the season because you're trying to win and get to the pac-12 title game but like I don't know, would that rub you the wrong way of Jonathan Smith being, you know, he was a walk at Oregon State, like wins the Fiesta Bowl, plays with Ocho Cinco and TJ Hushmanzada. Like he's a legend in Corvallis. But does this damper a lot of it? Does does a lot of that, you know, the shine come off of Jonathan Smith in the history of the Oregon State program? If, how, if you're, how can if you're it not, fan. right? How can it not? I mean, because they're, you know, they're paid liars. What's he supposed to well, say? Well, I, I would go back to, to Mike Riley, too, and, and Mike's departure, right? And I remember where I was when he took the Nebraska job. I was. I was flying back to school. I was in the I was in the middle of Chicago Midway Airport when I got Kinzano's story uh, that Mike Riley had is leaving for the Nebraska job, and I was just like, "Are you kidding me? He's going to try the Big Ten right now?" And obviously, you know, he had some success, but really not much, and uh, and it did not end well for him, you know, in, in Nebraska, just like it didn't end particularly well for him in the NFL. Both both occasions that he left Oregon State. Now you got you know the guy that was coached by Mike Riley, you know, as a as a freshman uh, quarterback at Oregon State that looks up to Mike Riley, that has that influence in him. Now he's leaving Oregon State for the Big Ten as well. Now, obviously, he's leaving it because of the instability. Uh, at least that's one of the reasons. He, well, he won't say it is, but that's one of the reasons he's going. But are the greener pastures really all that green? I mean, Michigan State's in shambles, man. Let's talk about that a little bit more on the other side. We'll take more of your phone calls at 503 417 7575. Judah Nubi and Stephen Vaughn in for John Kitzano on the Bald Face Truth. We'll also talk Ducks Dogs ahead of Friday's Pac 12 title showdown. And college football playoff rankings come out at 4 o'clock. We'll bring them to you live right here on the BFT. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the Bald Face Truth with John Kitzano on 750 The Game. 
Um, I thought a lot of the what I value, which wherever I'm at, I, I'm going to value these things. Again, the family piece, the community network, a passionate fan base, the opportunity to win, uh, the resources available to win, the community that is invested to win. I think all of that was was here. Um, and so that was brewing in my mind. I don't know what that pause at the end was all about. He was looking over to like uh, the PR person or the AD uh after that toward the tail end of that answer but it was a little bit of an awkward landing there it was an awkward press conference today out of uh jonathan smith part of it was authentic part of it was heartfelt the the moments thinking his family for sure that got me choked up a little bit um i'll still be interested in his success and i'll root for him you know i guess um at Michigan State, but I'm not a diehard Beaver fan like a lot of you are. 503-417-7575. Judah Newby and Stephen Vaughn in for John Cazzano today, Stephen. Um, do you think he'll win at Michigan State, Jonathan Smith? Yeah, I think he'll be successful. I don't know how. I don't think he's going to be a college football playoff contender. I think now that it's going to be. Even with the expansion. I, I, think with the, I, was say, with, I think with the expansion, I think there's a chance, you know, maybe you lightning strikes in the model and you get there one year, but it's not every year, not be a consistent top 12 team in the nation. I think it's just too hard in the big 10 with all the new teams coming in. Like you look at, you look at Michigan state, where are they right now in the pecking order? You'd have to put Ohio state, Michigan, Oregon, Washington. Uh, I put USC ahead of the Michigan state program. I'd put Penn state ahead of the Michigan state program. That's just seven teams right there. That's not even mentioning Wisconsin or Iowa. Like, I mean, you're looking at a team who could be, what, ninth, eighth in the Big Ten? And I know Jonathan Smith's going to move them up. It's just the fact that it's not going to be consistent year after year. But I don't think it was going to be consistent year after year at Oregon State where they're winning 10 games either. So I, I think it's very similar situation. It's going to be very, very uh, – it's going to be a situation where he, he's very good at, right? Like at Oregon State, he knew that he could win seven, eight games a year. He's going to have a big year where he wins 10. But it's not going to be consistent year after year. He's going to get to the playoff. And I think as far as the messaging with Jonathan Smith, he probably, and I've been comparing him to the way that Mario Cristobal left for the Miami job, I think Smith probably handled it better with the media in the lead-up to his decision than Cristobal did. Um, But I can't tell you how much I admired Mario Cristobal for calling into the radio show the day that he left. December 6, 2021, Mario Cristobal called into Canzano after he decided to to leave Oregon for Miami, you know, at the end of the day, it's uh, like it's okay for people not to understand, and and it's okay for people to be upset, and it's okay for people to be happy. I don't, I don't judge. I just, when granted an opportunity like I have for the past five years, it's just one hundred percent in all in every ounce, and you can look in the mirror at night when you do something like that. And Jonathan Smith, on the other hand. He uh, he has not exactly been throwing bouquets of roses at Oregon State's feet. You know, he's kept it really, really short talking about Oregon State. Like, somebody even asked him again today. They said, hey, like, um, don't you have uh, – how hard was it? Can you can you let us behind the scenes? I mean, pulling at the heartstrings a little bit, leaving your alma mater, a place where you walked on as a quarterback and had immense success there, defied the odds – uh, and won a lot of games and went and won a Fiesta Bowl and kicked Notre Dame's ass and came back as the head coach, pulling it out of the shambles left by Gary Anderson and building it up over six years and winning 10 games and getting back to a, to a, to a national standing and prominence and respectability, all while your own conference was falling down around you. Like, 
That had to have been hard to leave that behind for Michigan State. And what did Jonathan basically say today? He said, yeah, the place meant a lot to me, but I'm really excited to be here. That's pretty much it. I mean, there has not been anything like that emotional out of him on the record about how hard it was to leave Oregon State because here's my thing. I don't think it was hard for him to leave in the end. From a coaching standpoint, I think his mind's been made up for a long time, and if it wasn't Michigan State, it probably would have been a different job. Hell, it may have been, you know, like Division Three in Texas. Like, he just wanted to get somewhere with, uh, you know, where there was a chance to, to be in a conference that mattered. Obviously, that's tongue-in-cheek, but I don't know. I'm starting to, to learn a little bit more about his mindset over the past year, and maybe 8-4 and four isn't all that surprising now when it's all said and done. Uh, let's go out to Scott in Portland. Uh, he's got a thought on this on line three. Hey, Scott, what's on your mind? Hey, what's up, guys? Yeah, lifelong duck. I think that the reality is this, right? Like the, the whole situation of you look at Smith and, and Cristobal, even Slick Willie are just completely different ultimately, right? And and I, I just don't understand like the, the chastising of, of Smith all over Twitter. He's not a beeve anymore. Like, all this crazy talk. And if you go back to even looking at, like, Cristobal, like, yeah, he called in, saving face, all that kind of stuff. But the guy was a complete scumbag about it. You know, oh, I haven't talked to anyone. And after he got blown out in the, in the Pac-12 championship. And it just it – doesn't, it doesn't sit the same as with Smith. The guy was completely open. Yeah, maybe he said some things that were, like, a little bit of a slap in the face. But it's like the guy was completely loyal and built that program back from, you know, whatever, one win season. Like, it's just – it doesn't make any sense, man. And I, I think Beaver's got to really put things in perspective, especially going to a G5 conference of like, hey, this guy built us from nothing, literally nothing, to where we are now. And you got Trent Bray maybe at the helm that's going to step in. And it's just, yeah, I, I don't I don't really follow the logic around, you know, what and how this is all, you know, played out. It's completely different than, than Cristobal and, uh, you know, a Slick Willie kind of situation. It's, it's a complete 180. Yeah, and, and I think that's also where it's a little bit more tough for Beaver fans, though, too, because, Stephen, Michigan State this is not a dream job. This is not a dream scenario. Like, this, as Scott points out, it's not Mario to Miami. It's not Slick Willie to Florida State. Those were dream jobs that we all knew about. Those were bucket list jobs for those guys. And Michigan State's in shambles, man. Like, to, to me, that is not a place where you're just like, yeah. I gotta get there. It doesn't matter the cost. I gotta get over to Michigan State. It's especially for a guy that's never coached East of Montana. It's just a couple of things. It's like it's the alma mater, right? He left his alma mater to go there, and I think that hurts even. That just that cuts even deeper, right? Because a lot of people that are Oregon State fans have that bond with you, right? Like their alma maters with you, and then it's also the fact that it was the morning after the Civil War game. I think the timing of it was terrible, but also when you're Jonathan Smith, you have to leave at that point because you got to get everything in order for the transfer portal, which starts next Monday. I, I think that I think it brings up a good point, and you know, Gonzalo talked about this a little bit yesterday. Like maybe move the portal window back a little bit, give these coaches a little bit of time to save a little bit of face. Um, but yeah, I just think it's the timing and it's the fact that's all about it. Like that's got to burn, man. That's got to uh, dig deep. And like I'm, I'm gonna push back on your Cristobal thing, Judah. Like, yeah, I know he saved face when he called in to Kanzana's show afterwards. I wasn't there at that moment of this show, but like, he also said this right after the game that he wasn't talking to anybody. There's been no offers, and we all know that was a lie because the next day he took the job. So uh, this is Cristobal after the Pac-12 title game. Yeah, I don't know what you're into. When you say someone's offered, I haven't talked to anybody. So let's not create narratives, okay? As we sit here in this press conference, 
So Oregon is working on some stuff for me, and that's what I have right now. And that's the extent of that conversation. Well, like, I, okay, like, so he did, you know, he, he completely shut down where at least Smith came on this show and said, yeah, my agent's out there working. Uh, it. I will grant you that. I think Jonathan handled the lead up better than Mario handled his lead up. The but, but the exit, I don't think Jonathan's handled very well. I mean, Kanzano brought up the point on the show yesterday that everything Smith has said has not really been, you know, empathetic toward Beaver Nation. I kind of think he needs time to heal. I think he was hurt really bad and burned really bad by the whole Pac-12 thing. Because this is a West Coast guy that's always been on the West Coast. All of his coaching has been in the West, right? Idaho, Montana, Boise State, Washington. Now, you know, Oregon State. He's from California, right outside the Rose Bowl. Like, he grew up being a USC fan. He's a Pac-12 guy. And so I think it really burned when the Pac-12 was going away. And now the fact that, you know, Oregon State is one of the two schools that gets left out of the new conferences, and they're going to be demoted, and he's carried this program from being a terrible program to a really good competing program. I think it really hurts. I think it. Gets, I think he needs time. I think it's going to take a couple of years before he really like realizes. You know what? I love Corvallis. I'm just mad at them right now that they couldn't get anything done, and so I'm going to take a couple million extra dollars and go to Michigan State where I can compete on the highest level. Like, I don't blame him. Like, he's a real human being. I think he's. I think he's just very emotionally mad right now in Corvallis. And I hope that after a couple of years, Oregon State fans can kind of understand where he's coming from because he just doesn't, he wants to be at the top level and he deserves to be at the top level. He's that good of a coach. He will be making $7.25 million in his first year at Michigan State. He was making $4.85 million, so about $2.5 million less this past year at Corvallis. Let's go out to line four in Beaverton. That's where we find Rich. Hey, Rich. Hey, guys. How you doing? Great. How are you? What's on your mind? Good, good. Thank you so much. And so, you know, just a lot of things have been swirling around since last Friday, and I really just have two observations. I've been listening to you all talking about the um, the exit. I thought the exit was very poorly managed. None of us expected him to stay. We know he's a hot commodity. But, but the way it went down, I think he'll come to regret the way it was managed. You know, the transition could have been, you know, yeah, he's, he's angry at the administration and the Pac-12, but he got punched the fan base, and it hurts, you know. But we'll get over it. Um, the other point I wanted to make was we're sitting here, I'm just dawned on me today, we're sitting here talking about Jonathan Smith for hours. It's in the news. It's everywhere. But Jonathan Smith's not talking about us in East Lansing. So can we just move on soon? <laughs> you know? Yeah, I think that's an interesting, you know, point because I'm like, all right, when when does Beaver Nation heal? You know, is it right now? Is everybody healed up, ready to move on? I kind of think in like, the world of college they... football, Judy, you have to, right? The transfer, transfer portal starts next Monday. Like, that's when you start getting guys. And and you talked about this in the first segment. I think practically, but what about emotionally? Like, that's a whole, you just said Jonathan Smith himself needs to heal, and it will take him a couple of years. Like, part of me bringing it up on the show today is not necessarily for the practical implications, but it is the emotional processing. To Rich's point, though, and he, and he obviously is a Beaver fan, part of the emotional processing is, you know what? I'm wiping the the dirt off my feet. Okay, as I walk into my new home, my Trent Bray home, I'm I'm kicking the the dust off my you know Jonathan Smith feet right now, and I'm entering Trent Bray era. And again, that's not official yet, but he seems to be the leader in the clubhouse, and and a hire should be made by tomorrow, according to uh, John Canzano. And that's that's fair though, Judah. But you know, as a guy like me, I just slam my emotions down until they all bubble up and then explode one day. So that you know, if I'm Oregon State fan, I get it. Like I'm mad, but I also need to look forward because. You have some really talented guys, right? You talk about Damon Martinez has he's he's kind of committed to Oregon State. It sounds like 
But you look at Aiden Childs, what, what's DJU going to do? What's a lot of these guys going to do? Are they going to stay in Corvallis? you got to make a decision soon. And you're right, you know, like Gonzano said, tomorrow it seems like it's going to be the day. But, um, you know, he put out the seven candidates. I'd love to hear from Beaver fans who they would want out of these guys. Uh, and, you know, go to johnconzano.com to see where Gonzano kind of puts the odds on these guys. But here, here's the guys that have all interviewed for the job in one way or another, whether it's in person or in Zoom. It's Trent Bray, defense coordinator for the Beavs. Brent Brennan, San Jose State head coach Josh Gaddis, Maryland offensive coordinator Matt Wells, who is the former Utah State head coach. He's now an offensive analyst at Oklahoma. Paul Christ, he interviewed with Oregon State. Of course, he was with Oregon State. He was uh, with Wisconsin as well. Bronco Mendenhall, former Virginia and BYU coach, has interviewed. And then Troy Calhoun of Air Force, he has also interviewed for the job. I would love to hear from the Beaver fans who they would want out of those. It seems like Trent Bray is the leader in the clubhouse, but... They've interviewed seven guys, Judah. I'd love to hear your opinion on that as well. Yeah, I Gaddis jumps out to me because he was Cristobal's OC at Miami for one year. He was the Broyles Award winner at Michigan before that. Um, and uh, then Mario kicked him to the curb after uh, after one season in Coral Gables. Uh, he's at Maryland right now? He's at Maryland right now. With they didn't Talia. have a great season. I mean, they were, they were fine. They were so. fine, yeah, yeah. Um, to me, I, it's a, it's a long list. It, it, you know, shows me that they're trying to be as exhaustive as possible. I think Scott Barnes said he was going through seven interviews on Monday alone, just yeah. stacking them up on zoom. So, um, and we'll replay some of Scott's audio from yesterday, uh, later on in the show as well. To me, I, I think Trent Bray makes a lot of sense. I like Paul Christ a lot just because he's been around the game forever. You know, he's highly respected schematically, but he doesn't bring a whole lot of energy or juice or it's whatever. It's not very you know? inspiring. It's, it's not very inspiring. Like, it, they'll have cool third down packages and red zone packages, but it's not really something like, oh, my God, Paul Chris, hell yeah. Uh, you know, 20 years after he was the offensive coordinator in Corvallis. Um, so, Brandon, I'm not as high on, I feel like, as a lot of other people. I think he, he built up some good things in, in San Jose. Maybe it's just the fact that they look so bad against the Beavers in the opener, and maybe I'm putting too much stock into that in the Week 1 Sunday game on CBS. But you were telling me yesterday they put together a pretty decent season out in the Mountain West. So they did. So got to give them credit The for thing that. about Paul Christ, Judah, my problem is, and I'm not an Oregon State fan, but haven't they already been burned by a Wisconsin head coach and Gary Anderson? <laughs> let's not relive that again, guys. Let's, let's well, you hired Gary from Wisconsin. I'm just saying, least. let's just, you know what, let's not even risk it. You know, yeah, I'll just reach, I, reach out to Luke Fickle. As a Blazer fan, as a Blazer fan, I know about curses and all these things. Just just stay away. Just stay away yeah. from, from Wisconsin head coaches because they'll burn you and they'll be bad. Uh, we'll get to more of your calls on the other side, plus a big splash. We'll talk some NFL college football playoff rankings coming up at 4 o'clock. We'll react to them live. Will the Ducks move up from 6? Will they get above Ohio State? And then how does that set up for Saturday in Alabama taking on Georgia? I mean, I, I'm not sure if we're talking about enough the fact that if Alabama beats that Georgia team, then uh, things could get pretty hairy pretty quick for the for the Oregon Duckies. Um, or the Florida State Seminoles, depending on if they beat Louisville. There, there's a lot of scenarios to get to that are more um, more uh, stressful than I think uh, we, we know right now. But playoff rankings come out at four. Judah Newby and Stephen Vaughn in for John Cazzano here on the Bold Face Truth. Back to the Bold Face Truth with John Cazzano on 750 The Game.
New set of playoff rankings comes out at 4 o'clock. We'll react to them live right here on the Bald Face Truth. Judah Newby, Stephen Vaughn in for John Cazzano. Still taking your calls at 503-417-7575 as Jonathan Smith introduced as the new head coach at Michigan State. But first, let's get to the big splash. This is the big splash. Brought to you by Killer Burger. Voted best burger five years in a row. Killer Burger's 10 rad burger builds will send your taste buds on an epic journey. Killer Burger, the burgers your mama warned you about. Well, the Panthers fired Frank Reich, or should I quote David Tepper, Frank Reich. The owner of the Carolina Panthers doesn't know the name of the head coach he just fired. But David Tepper gave his press conference today. And uh, said he stands by the team's decision to draft quarterback Bryce Young with the top pick. And also defended his perceived lack of patience. Reich was 1-10 and 10 this year. And uh, critics have suggested that they made a mistake drafting Bryce Young over C.J. Stroud. Is that too soon to say, Stephen? C.J. Stroud? Undoubtedly the better NFL quarterback for his career than Bryce Young through 11 weeks. Definitely too weeks. definitely too soon. Uh, but I also think the fact that CJ Stroud's so good, and even Will Levis has been okay, like to that point as well. Like, I think that adds into the fact of, hey, we need to get rid of Frank Wright. Like, the, the fact that you couldn't do it with the first overall pick, and there's these other quarterbacks that are performing really well, especially CJ Stroud, could have had him. I think that played into the fact of Reich needs to get out of there. And I, I think it's the right decision. I think Frank Wright is just not a great NFL coach. I don't think he ever really was. And so I think it's good. Well, he, he did some good things with Indianapolis. Did he? Well, definitely with Andrew Luck. And then with Phillip Rivers, got him to the playoffs in 2020. I, Nearly beat Buffalo in the 7-2 game. He's fine. He's fine. He also has been fired the last two seasons in season. So I'm going to say not great. Um, I think they can get somebody better is my whole thing. And I think the fact that... Um, you know, CJ Stroud's doing so well. I think that's the reason the like if I'm David Tepper, yeah, maybe Frank Wright need to get out of here. CJ Stroud's first home game at Ohio State against Oregon, week two, twenty twenty one season. I'll, I'll always remember that. By the way, he balled out in that game. I think he threw for over four hundred yards. Uh but one of them was the go ball to Chris Olave when Verone McKinley didn't even know the ball was snapped yet and Olave just ran by him and, and scored a touchdown. That was a crazy game, but a huge, huge win for Mario Cristobal at the time, winning in Columbus, winning in the shoe. Uh, David Tepper, who also, in addition to owning the Panthers, owns the soccer team there, that expansion side, Charlotte FC. And he's already fired two coaches there, too. So he's fired four coaches in like three years between his two uh, two entities. That's I mean, hard to do. If you got the money, you got the money, you got the power. I guess yeah. you can fire who you want to fire. <laughs> Let's go back to, out to the uh, phone lines. Uh, Mark in Beaverton on line one. Hey, Mark, how you doing? Good, Judah. How are you guys good, doing? Good, good, good. Good. Hope you guys had a great Thanksgiving. So wanted to directly answer Stephen's question about, you know, who, which coach, you know, would I choose? I would go hands down, no-brainer, Trent Bray, mainly because he represents ability and he represents, I mean, he's the closest thing to the the culture that Jonathan Smith did create over the six years. You can't, you know, you can't turn your back on that. He did have a great culture, and that goes with the coaches. So the fact that he was on his staff, I believe that is the best choice for a lot of reasons, mainly um, because the transfer portal is coming up so quickly. And the players just need, I mean, let's face it, there's there's no 
easy way when a coach leaves and all the players, they feel like girlfriends, they've been jilted, they've been lied to. And so, um, yeah, I, I think Trent needs to go in there and hopefully he'll get, he'll get hired, uh, provide stability, confidence, and, and get their trust back and then just move on. Yeah, I think that's a good point. And if there was any time to make a hire prioritizing stability, it's now. And I think that's definitely what put uh, puts Trent Bray, you know, in uh, in the lead. I think to be hired, and that announcement should be coming uh, as soon as tomorrow. At least the the head coach hiring should be coming as soon as tomorrow, according to John Canzano. And we think uh, Trent Bray is the leader in the clubhouse. Uh, let's go to Sam in Portland on line three. Hey, Sam. Hey, uh, I completely and one hundred percent disagree. I what I don't understand, like if you look at Oregon, Dan Lanning. Mario Cristobal, Chip Kelly, what do they all have in common? They aren't from Oregon. They came in and changed the culture or continued what was in place, but they were outsiders. To me, the number one choice is Josh Gaddis. Now, Oregon State, according to John's list, did their job. They interviewed at least one qualified minority candidate. But what I don't understand is if you want to keep Aiden Childs and Martinez, who are offensive-minded, why wouldn't you hire Josh Gaddis, who was the nation's top assistant coach in 2021. He was successful at Michigan. Uh, he's at uh, Maryland right now. He's an offensive-minded coach. It, you know, nothing against Trent Bray. But you've got a coach, Josh Gaddis, who has experience. He's offensive-minded. Assistant head coach, you know, in the nation, top assistant, and if he wants the job, I don't, I don't understand how he's not the number one choice. The other frustration is it's great that they interviewed one qualified candidate, but, you know, I've been in communication with the National Coalition of Minority Coaches, and to my knowledge, they only interviewed one. Yeah. There are a lot of- well, well, try to bring you on to finish that call on the other side, hitting the hard out here, but uh, we'll continue to flesh that out more an hour or two right here on the Boldfish Truth. Blazers won yesterday, Steven. Yeah, they did. Wow. That was like a 12-and-a-half-point spread at Tim. I was thinking about laying the number with Indiana, and then I was like, you know what? Fluky things happen. I, I, it was Blazers' second night of a back-to-back. Blew a 26-point lead in Milwaukee. I was like, there's no way they're winning this game. And then they won it. How, how the hell did they win that game? Well, I tell you what, dude. I've said this before. Like, the Blazers' defense surprisingly isn't terrible. We're so used to it being terrible the last, you know, 10 seasons or so. You know, maybe a fluky season here or there. They don't have a terrible defense this season. And Indiana has been a really good offensive team. But the second half especially, the Blazers' defense really locked down and then we also talked about this, like the Blazers' depth when they're healthy, they have some solid players. Malcolm Brogdon is a really good player. Jeremy Grant is a really good player. Yep. Like they're not superstars, but the good players are Jeremy Grant and Malcolm Brogdon got key buckets at the end of the game. Like the Blazers team isn't very good, but when they're fully healthy, they have about seven, eight guys that are NBA caliber, and that's more than they've had the last couple of years, which is, <laughs> you know, it's funny to think about that way. So they're, I, I, they're just a fun team to root for, and they play some defense, and you know what? They got the dub, and uh, you got to give them some credit for that. Playoff rankings going to be uh, unveiled here on ESPN. I'm curious if Oregon State is still in the rankings or not. After getting uh, crushed by Oregon 31-7, they were number 16. How far do they go? Um, which kind of does matter a little bit because... I think it matters a lot, actually. 
Or, that's the thing that Greg McElroy keeps bringing up is, oh, none of Oregon's wins are ranked wins. You know? Well, that, I brought this up yesterday, Judah. Which is kind of a thing. I mean, I know Ohio State just lost, and we all assume, oh, Oregon's going to be ahead of Ohio State with, you know, if Oregon beats Washington. Ohio State lost by four to Michigan, who is a really good team. You know, obviously a top one or top two team on the road. They barely lost. They had a chance to win that game. And then you look at their schedule. They have better wins than Oregon. Their resume is better than the Ducks. Like, you got to find Ohio State's schedule. Because I, I think of the Notre Dame game, sure. But what else What else were their big wins besides Notre Dame? Uh, they beat, um, I got to look it up. Oh, yeah, that team. Yeah, that the, the, those other good ones. Um, yeah, no, but I just, yeah, I don't they lost by six to Michigan. I mean, come on now. I, I think we, they beat Penn State. I mean, come on. Remember Penn that Penn State was a big uh, big win. So, they, you know, they beat Penn State. They beat Notre Although Dame. I have no idea what to make of Penn State. I don't it think It was like every big game they play, but, they lose. But that's why I think being Oregon State LSU being in the top 25 is going to be important. So the Ducks have that. Still, they'll have two top 25 wins, and it's going to be hard to leave them out. I, I just think. We're assuming a little much out of this committee to get it right when we've seen in the past the committee gets it wrong. I will say this. Like, they might, Ohio State may be in front of Oregon this week because they dropped from what? Number, were they number two or were they number three? They were number two, right? <laughs> they were two and Michigan was three. So I think Ohio State could fall from two to five and be the highest ranked one loss team, but they won't stay in front of Oregon if Oregon beats the team that beat them. Um, I think in theory, they, in theory you're right, Judah. In theory, you're right. But they'll get an extra win, and that will be a better win than any win Ohio State had. But that's asking the committee to be logical. Yeah, they, they'd have to be idiotic to to not do it. They, they won't like. I have little faith in the committee, but they won't put two Big Ten teams ahead of the Pac-12 champion. They won't do it. No chance in no chance in hell. What I'm more worried about is if Alabama beats Georgia. Because oh, what do you do then, right? I mean. And if Florida State beats Louisville. Also, um, there are the Beavers. They stay in the top 25 and comfortably at number 20. Oregon State is number 20 at 8 and 4. Uh, right behind North Carolina State at 9 and 3. And Oklahoma State at 9 and 3. As well as Notre Dame at 9 and 3. So the Beavers drop from 16 to 20. So in the span of two weeks, they've gone from 11 to 16 to 20. Mm. That's where they are after two losses to UW and Oregon. Do you think if they would have beat Washington that or John the Smith stays? Um man, that is a good question. I don't think so. I mean, because they would have been top ten at that point. They're going on the road at Oregon. Like that's gonna be a close to a top five matchup. Seemed like he already had his heart set on leaving like a long time ago. So I, I don't I don't think so, but it also, I would love to know the you know, truthful he answer. It, he played it fast and loose with some of his uh, decisions this year. I'll never get over the fake field goal in Arizona. That's just dumb football. Dumb football, man. I, I, that guy's a smart football coach. How the hell do you go for a fake field goal there? Twice after you already showed your hand. From like 20 yards out. What the hell are we doing? It's like my Vince Lombardi moment. It's like, what the hell's going on? What the hell's going on out here? Speaking of Arizona, they are number 15 in the rankings Jed Fish has been just awesome uh, this entire season. They're starting to get into the top 10 now. Penn State is number 10 at 10 and 2. I'm sure that uh, right above them will be uh, Louisville, perhaps. Missouri uh, will be in that mix as well. Missouri's having a great season. 
uh, a two-loss team. You'll, of course, have Alabama. You'll have Texas. You'll have Oregon in there. You'll have Florida State in there. But what do you do with Florida State if they beat Louisville? By the way, do you know the line on that? I have not the, seen any line on Florida State-Louisville the, yet, but what do you have? The spread is at 2.5 right now. Florida State is favored by 2.5. It was. It opened above 3, and that got that real hard on Louisville's side. Um, I think there's some money coming back on Florida State now that it's under three, but it is a you know it's a Florida very, State still favored. Florida State still favored. That slightly makes me nervous over Louisville because to me it would be an easy Louisville favorite play if Jordan Travis really is like that guy. Well, here's the thing. I, I mean, and the rest of the team is because you know Florida State. You could argue they should have lost to Florida last week, and if they're favored against Louisville, if all the favorites win. Is the committee really going to leave out Florida State, who's thirteen and zero? I I feel like they're not. They, right? You can't leave them you out. You can't if leave them out. And so then it would be up to Texas and Oregon. Well, Oregon would be over Texas. Like, I think Oregon would get the nod over Texas. No, but Texas has even... the win at Alabama. Yeah, but Oregon would have a win over UW on neutral site, and they've been ranked ahead of Texas all year. What's the point of having Oregon ahead of Texas all year? If you're not going to keep them there when they've got a better win on the final day of the season, that well, makes think zero about sense that's what whatsoever. this committee did the very first year with Ohio State. They jumped them over what TCU and Baylor. I, I'm just I'm playing devil's advocate a little here because I'm with you. I think Oregon should be it, but you the, look, the trouble is if Alabama beats Georgia, what's the line on that game? That game that's up to like five and a half. Five okay, and that a half. makes me feel a little bit six, better. Georgia's favored, so you know I, I'm just looking at it as if all the favorites are to win. Right, Florida State yeah. beats Louisville, Oregon beats Washington, Georgia beats Alabama, Michigan beats Iowa, Texas beats Oklahoma State, which I think you know this could happen. Where it's just yeah. one of those days, all the favorites just kind of dominate. Well, where, where's Oregon up I, until I this fourth. week? The top six has been literally the same until you know, besides UW, Leapfrog, and FSU. But it's not like FSU lost a game yet. So and you you look at that situation, then there'll be three undefeated teams in Michigan. Uh, Georgia and Florida State. I would have to imagine they all get in, and then it's going to come down to that final spot between Texas and Oregon. I'm with you. I think Oregon gets the nod over Texas, but that's leaving it in the committee's hand right yeah, now. Yeah, no, I, I, and maybe I'm naive, but there's no way in hell Texas would leapfrog Oregon if Oregon beats UW and Texas beats Oklahoma State when they, where Oregon's been ranked ahead of Texas all year. Like, what's the point of ranking Oregon ahead of Texas all year? If you're going to leapfrog them with a lesser win uh, on the on the final weekend, that would make no sense. Plus, you at least have a Heisman candidate in Bo Nix. So uh, they are unveiling the top six right now. And number six, the Ohio State Buckeyes are number six in uh, in the college football playoff rankings. The Ducks are off the five off the six line. I should say they finally moved up. Uh, how high will they move up? Well, I, I got to imagine they're they're going to be coming up here at number five after ESPN's done talking about Ohio State. But Ohio State drops four spots, Stephen, from number two to number six with their true road loss at Michigan. And I think that answers the question of you should be scared of Ohio State. If you're an Oregon fan, the answer would be no. no. Uh, the fact that they have Oregon ahead of Ohio State after that loss an Oregon win over Washington is not going to put Ohio State over Oregon. So I think you can firmly say Oregon is ahead of Ohio State. Now I think the only question is, are they going to be ahead of Texas after the conference championship games? Oregon, there they are at number five in the country. The Ducks at 11-1 and one move up one spot from number six to number five, one spot ahead of Ohio State uh, at the uh, number six position 
Uh, again, I, there's no way that Texas leapfrogs Oregon. No, I mean, Oklahoma State against UW. I mean, I, I will say UW's going to be number you know, four or three, probably number three, because I, Florida State will be four. I really hope, as a college football fan, Louisville beats Florida State. Uh, that that would solve a lot of problems. It would solve it? a lot of problems, and then you would have a Georgia, you'd have Oregon, you'd have Michigan, you'd have Texas in the college football playoff. Think about that Final Four right there. All the regions are covered, Oregon out in the west, Texas in the south, uh, Georgia in the south, and then you got um, uh, Michigan. Would, would you have Texas the, over Ohio State? Big 12 yeah, because champion the Big 12 over, champion beat yeah. Alabama. I think, I, I think it would be— I think Ohio State's done. I think it would be Georgia taking on, uh, you know, Texas in the first round, maybe. Yeah. And then Michigan taking on Oregon, something like that. I mean, that would be, that'd be awesome. That'd be that'd be one of the better college football playoffs that we've seen in a while. Um, do you think Oregon can win it all? Oh, 100 percent. Yeah, I do. I, th- I think this team is really good. <laughs> really freaking good, man. And uh, you know, it's so weird, like just the dynamics with it. And by the way, Florida State is number four, and Washington is number three. So Ohio State at six, Oregon at five, Florida State at four, Washington at three. So it'll be number five against number three Friday night in Vegas for the Pac-12 championship game. The final one. I mean, what a what a game. I mean, at least we're getting the best two teams in the conference, right? Like last season, I think you could have argued that wasn't necessarily the game we wanted to see between USC and uh, Utah. This is the match we want. We wanted to see the rematch between Oregon and Washington because of how that game went down. The Heisman candidates all season long. I want to see this. Now, I, Oregon is a big-time favorite. It's up to nine, nine and a half, depending on where you're looking at. Oregon, huge favorites over Washington. It could be a blowout, but you know, until until Washington gets beat, right now they're in the lead. They're the Pac-12. Uh, you know, they they got to be. The, you got to look at them and say. They got a shot at the cultural playoff. They're undefeated. Why would they lose now? I I don't know. I'm just loving this game, dude. I love it. There's so much on the line. Well, talk me off this ledge then. You know, Florida State beats Louisville. Mm. Alabama beats Georgia. What are your rankings? Well, Oregon and Oregon beats UW, let's say, by 10. That's the tough one, right? I, I You look at Georgia. They don't have great wins. They did beat Missouri. Um, and that's going to be go down as a big win. They beat uh, Ole Miss, who's going to be in the top 25 as well. But after that, there's not really that many wins. And then you'll have a loss, and they're not a conference champion. They The committee says they don't take into consideration last year's results or the year before, right, because they're going to be back-to-back national champions going into it. Me as an outsider, Judah, I find it hard to believe that the committee is not going to put Georgia in over Oregon, like they would have, to, they, I feel like they would do, they would do that, given the SEC bias, given the fact they've won the last two national championships. I think it'd be hard for them to leave Georgia out as a one-loss, uh, twelve and one. You go undefeated all season long, lose to an Alabama team who's really good in the top ten. That's your only loss in the season. I would find it hard to believe that they would put Oregon over Georgia, but I think, I think uh, resume-wise, you probably could argue Oregon's is just as good, or not, if not better, than Georgia's. <laughs> so, like. I think Oregon should deserve to be in there, but I think the committee then goes human factor, which Dave Bartu doesn't believe, but I think they would. I think they'd go human factor, and they say, you know what, Georgia's won the last two. Put them in the college football playoff. Let them defend their title. So you would have Michigan at one, Florida State at two? Yeah, or three. If they beat Louisville. And then Bama, Bama, Bama Florida State, three. two, three. And then Bama would go up from number eight to number three with a win over top-ranked Georgia. Yes. 
and then Georgia, you'd say, would stay in it at four at number four. And then the national championship game would be keep Georgia versus out. Michigan, basically. In that first round, really? and I think that's that's if you're a Duck fan, that's the nightmare. Scenario. How good was the Pac-12 this year? We're gonna find out if Alabama beats Georgia. So if you're a Duck fan, you are rooting for Louisville, and you are rooting for Georgia. Georgia, I think. And that's that. Would you agree with that, Judah? I think if I think, I think that's if, the cleanest. I think if Florida State loses and Oregon wins, I think you and are you're if you're an Oregon fan, you're in the college football playoff. And by the way, you have all Saturday to soak it in without your team playing. Well, yeah, Oregon's got to take care of business on Oregon Friday night. Gets to lay down the law on Friday, which, by the way, I think style points matter for that. Well, that I and mean, the Heisman Trophy, Heisman on the line, the number three ranked team in the country. On a neutral site, chance to avenge your only loss of the year. <laughs> and you are favored by, is it still nine and a half? I'll, I'll look it up right now. The last I looked, it was nine at certain places, but I will uh, search it right now. And so you've got, I mean, I think there's all the incentive in the world for Oregon to win by 20 or more points. Like, don't let up. You know, you guys are going to the Big Ten with UW next year anyway. Give them something to think about. And you you got to cover this number. You know, it's important to cover this number for the playoff. Like, winning will get you right on the doorstep. But if you're still comparing a one-loss Pac-12 champion to Oregon that maybe, like, barely slipped by Washington when you were favored by 9.5 against a Florida State team that may be undefeated or against a Georgia team that may have had a close loss to Alabama in the SEC title game, potentially, then style points will absolutely matter if you're trying to stiff arm and keep out another borderline team that's either undefeated in Florida State or has one loss in, in Georgia. And I, you know, my my take would be is I think it's not going to matter. If Oregon wins, I think they're in. I don't think it matters how they win. They can win by three. They can win by 23. You think they would be over Georgia if Georgia loses? Yes, I do. I think they should be. What about an undefeated Florida State? Uh, what if Florida State beats Louisville and, and Alabama beats Georgia? And I think, Alabama beats Georgia. I, I think Oregon should get in. That's what I think they should happen. What I I don't know that it will happen, but I think it should. So I, I agree with you. I think style points do matter. Um, but I think Oregon just has to get the job done, first and foremost. And you no think if Camden Lewis banks in a field goal as time expires to beat the number three ranked team in the country on a neutral site in a game in which you were favored by nine and a half. Doesn't matter the other results, that'll get you in. I think so. I think so. I'm not entirely sure. I believe you. Um, so here, here's a, you know, I look at a couple of different offshores. They love uh, the SEC, man. They freaking on, love the SEC. Bet online, Oregon minus nine and a half. Uh, another sports book, they're minus nine. So it depends on where you yeah. look. Nine, nine and a half is what you're looking at. I think if Oregon does dominate, they win by margin. They win by double digits. I think for sure, like, they're in, right? That's got to be. I, yeah, if they cover, I think they're in. You know, and then maybe that's the Vegas side of me saying, lay, you got to lay the ducks, and uh, it's, as, it's as important as it ever was to look impressive on Friday night in addition to beating your, your rival. I think it more. I think the style points more matter in the Heisman Trophy race. Like, if we're talking what matters more with style points, I think if Bo Nix has a average game, to blow average game, Jaden Daniels takes the Heisman home. But if Bo Nix... Has you know the three hundred yard game, couple touchdowns, looks really good. Oregon wins, whether it's by seven or you know thirty seven. I think that's how Bo Nix wins the Heisman is by having style points. I think if it's an average game, Jane Daniels wins the Heisman, but the Ducks still get in. I think it's both because 
if you're a college football playoff committee, you kind of want to put your Heisman winner in the playoff. And well, if Nix has a below average game and there's no style points there, there's another reason to keep him out of the playoff because he's not going to win the Heisman in your in your argument. You say, hey, the Heisman winner is not going to the playoff anyway. Why do we have to put Oregon in there? Well, Heisman Trophy winner didn't go last year either. What was it, Caleb? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> nobody, nobody cares about the Heisman. Do people really care about the Heisman? I, I haven't really cared about it until this year when Bo and I think if, if you involved. have someone in your region or your school, like yeah. like we cared when Mariota won, right? There like, have been a lot of like unimpressive Heisman winners. That's probably been part of it for me. It's like there there haven't been guys that have just like totally captivated me since Lamar Jackson. I would say. Yeah, I mean you know Devontae Smith, Baker Mayfield. No, uh, neither Jameis, Derrick Henry. I mean. Solid players. Kyler. I just never liked some of those guys. That's part of it, too. 503-417-7575. Any of your reaction, Duck fans, to being number five in the latest edition of the college football playoff, one spot ahead of the Ohio State University and two spots behind the rival Washington Huskies, whom you will face coming up on on Friday night at 5 o'clock in Las Vegas. Uh, take more of your phone calls and more of your reaction to Jonathan Smith as well at 503-417-7575. Jude Anubi and Stephen Vaughn in for John Canzano on the Bald Face Truth. Back to the Bald Face Truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Well, I've uh, first learned how resilient our team is. Uh, you know, we have a really tough team, and I think we responded really well to that first loss. And they were a really good team, and they played us really well. And, uh, you know, even though it was a, a very close game, they pulled out the win in the end. And that's all that really matters in a game like that is who makes the extra play to win the game. And, uh, you know, it's always tough to play a team twice. Uh, we know they're in a really good position. They had a great season. They went undefeated. And, um, it's going to be a really good battle on Friday. That was Bo Nix on Sports Center just a, a few minutes ago before their college football playoff rankings show. Judah Newby, Stephen Vaughn in for John Cazzano and you at 503-417-7575. You can also tweet at 750thegame. Uh, Stephen, is it as obvious that uh, that Oregon should go out and kind of dominate this game against Washington, or are we oversimplifying things and are we getting too attracted to being nine point or nine and a half point favorites like is this ultimately going to be a close game at the end of it two rivals on a neutral site just like it was a close game in seattle uh, i'm leaning not i'm leaning an oregon blowout here judah I, I don't know if that makes me you're a michael Penix hater unbelievable <laughs> oh, let's that... get softy on the phone right now yeah, get him on no, i'll I... go one step further it would be embarrassing embarrassing if oregon loses this game i mean washington sucks i love washington but they're they're terrible Michael Penix is not healthy. Worst undefeated team of all time. I, I do think this, dude. I think Oregon should have won the first game. You go back and you watch that game. All the mistakes that Oregon made, all the fourth downs, we talked about it to death with Dan Lanning, the decisions. If Oregon makes one of those fourth downs, they win that game. And so I do think Oregon was the better team on that day. They just lost. And now I think Oregon has been the better team the rest of the season. I, I think the line is right. I think it should be 
over a touchdown favorite by Oregon. I think they're that good. The way that they're playing, the way that defense is cooking, I think it should be that high. And I think the Ducks are just better than Washington. I don't think Michael Penix is right. I think either he is not healthy. It kind of happens in that game against Oregon, Judah, when he got hurt, right? Remember in the fourth quarter, Washington got stuffed on a fourth down right at the goal line. They ran four straight plays. They didn't throw the ball once, and he came limping off the field. In those first six games, Michael Penix Jr. averaged 383 yards passing per game. The last six, 266 yards a game. That's over 100 yards difference between you know, the first half and second half of the season. I don't, you know, I don't know other another way to say he's hurt, but he's not healthy. He's just not healthy right now. I think that kind of proves right there. He just can't. He hasn't been able to throw the football as much. And I think Oregon's going to take advantage of this, and I think they're going to win by double digits, and it's going to be an easy win for Oregon on Friday. Well. I want to believe you because, like you, I think Oregon's just been a machine lately. They're on a machine. They they are a machine on a mission to destroy anything and everything in their path. Bo Nix is going around saying, vengeance is mine, saith Bodacious for Heisman. Uh, you know, some people get mad at me for that. Maybe I shouldn't have said that. But still, vengeance in Vegas for Bo Nix uh, on Friday night against Washington. And... The counterpoint, for me at least, if I'm trying to play devil's advocate, is, uh, you know, are we underselling Ryan Grubb? Because Ryan Grubb is a great play caller, great, you know, schemer, working simpatico with Kalen DeBoer. The DeBoer-Grubb pairing has been very, very good. It's been amplified by the talent of Michael Penix Jr. But simply saying that Penix hasn't been healthy and now saying, ergo, they're going to struggle you know, against Oregon's defense on Friday night, it's in part because Oregon's defense has been much more solid, um, you know, than it was in mid-October. But at the same time, I mean, you saw what Ryan Grubb dialed up on fourth and one against Washington State. Like, that's a play that they had in their holster that they didn't call. I haven't seen it called all year. Great play call. Hell of a play call. You really don't think he's got one or two or three or more of those? Like they're he not gonna, they're not going to hide him for the playoff. They're going to bring him out right now. And Penix be not a hundred percent. He's definitely not a hundred percent. What is he? Seventy? Maybe? Maybe less? I don't entirely know. But the point being, if you do not pressure him, I think it, you know you still got Odunze McMillan and Polk. And by the way, Dylan Johnson, who we all say UW doesn't have a running game. UW doesn't. Well, he's been good. He's done some things. He's done some things. So but Washington, I, I wouldn't just assume that Penix is going to struggle in this game. I don't think he's going to struggle. I think he's going to have some plays, and I think you're right. Grubb's going to have some for him. But Washington's been playing with fire ever since that Oregon game. I mean, go and look. I mean, their biggest win was 10 against the USC, and even that game was really close until the very end when they you know scored to put it out of hand. He went by 8 over Arizona State, 9 by Stanford. Stanford should have won that game. Had they converted that fourth down where the guy drops a wide-open pass— Washington loses that game. They lost. Well, the, they could. They could have lost that game. They would have. <laughs> For my <laughs> argument, they would have. Um, they they beat Utah by seven. Beat Oregon State by two. I mean, Oregon State was right in that ball game the entire time. And then Washington State last week. Washington State should have won that game. I, I don't. You, I'll argue that to the death of me. Washington State was better than Washington in that game. And I I, I knew that was going to happen, but Washington pulled it out. Maybe. They are just a winning team, and they pull games off at the end. Right. I just think they've been playing That's the with, argument for them. That's the argument for them. I just like to look at the stats. I like to look at it, and I'm saying, this team is fraudulent at 12-0. and And, yes, they've gotten lucky, but I think Oregon is a better team up and down. You look at their roster. You look at the stats. You look at the players. I think Oregon's just a better team. Now, Kalen DeBoer might be a better coach, but I think Oregon's got the advantage in every situation. I expect Oregon to win big in this game. 
I know Washington's going to have some moments. Roma Dunze is too good. Michael Penix is too good. Dylan Johnson, even he's too good. They're going to have plays. But I think at the end, Oregon's just going to out-talent them. They're going to win by double digits. Uh, Softies on 9-1. Softy? Tell yeah. me, am I crazy for picking Oregon? I think Oregon's the better team. I think no. they're a more complete team. No, I just told you. I think it's going to be an embarrassment if Oregon loses the game. And you just said why. They're, they're, a, they're a way more complete football team. I mean, John, everything that Washington does well – Oregon has an answer for UW number one in total offense. Okay, fine. Oregon's number six in total defense. UW number one in passing offense. Okay, fine. Oregon's number five in passing defense. Uh, how about UW number six in sacks allowed in the country? Okay, fine. Oregon's defense is tied for eighth with 18. Everything UW does well, Oregon has a response. Everything UW does weak, Oregon is good at. Washington, number 62 in total D. Oregon, number two in total offense. UW, 102nd in rush uh, offense. Oregon is 20th in run defense. The Huskies cannot get after the quarterback. Oregon does a great job of protecting the quarterback. This would be an absolute embarrassment. Embarrassment for Dan Lanning in Oregon to lose this game to Washington because on paper they are better in every single category. You don't get UW now. you got to wonder as an Oregon fan if Dan Lanning can ever get it done. <laughs> and that was for a game in which Washington uh, was favored by a field goal, right? Is yeah, that where that closed? Yeah, that closed right around there, maybe a little less. That last part that he said on October 11th leading up to an October 14th game, if you don't get Washington now, you got to wonder if Dan Lanning will ever get it done. That actually feels kind of true for this weekend. <laughs> that, I would agree with that, actually. I think that's a great point there. The counterpoint being, they haven't lost a game since when was the last time Washington lost a game? I mean, last season. It's been a hell of a long time. I mean, it's the second longest win Wasn't it the uh, Arizona State or Arizona game on the road? Or uh, They it, lost they to, lost to UCLA. Arizona State, yeah. The Arizona State game on the road October 8th of 2022. That was their last loss. That's a lot of uh, that's a lot of wins in a row. And then Dan Lanning responded to that uh, the next day on the show. He said, "He I don't know who that guy is." Talking about Softy. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, I guess that guy I don't know who he is, but he's not going to play in the game, so it doesn't really matter, right? I mean, we have to focus on the reality of who is playing this game. Our players, right? I don't get to play in it either, so um, it's really about how, what our players are going to do and what they're going to you know execute when it comes to game day. Here's what I know: there's two really good teams that are about to play in this game, and they're both really talented, and both are certainly capable of winning, and it's going to be about who performs the best. Um, you know, it's a great matchup. I don't think it's ever been this highly ranked. Like, um, not that rankings matter at all, but I think it does You know, show that you're talking about two really good teams. So we're going to go out there and play the game and, and uh, see, what, see what happens. Uh, Oregon's a little banged up at defensive back. Should point that out as well. Um, even though uh, Kyrie Jackson, I believe, should be playing the Alabama transfer who's had a nice season. Uh, Jaleel Florence, I don't think, is going to be playing on, on Friday night. So um, be looking for some uh, some depth at the corner spot there. And, oh, by the way, you've got the best receiving core in the nation to go up against. It's just a lot of points. Do you... It's a lot of points for the talent that Washington has on offense. I know Penix is banged up, but, I mean, it's a lot to assume that just they're going to go out there and kick ass. I know they have, but they've also left the back door open yeah. more than once. If you if you had to make a pick right now, just lean on a Tuesday, yeah, nine Oregon. and a half points. It's Oregon minus nine and a half, but... By Friday at 5, I could definitely talk myself into the plus number. Uh, I'll say that.
That team's undefeated, man. They they find ways to win. They don't get blown out, obviously. They haven't lost in 14 months. Well, I, I, How I, the hell are we just going to say nine and a half? You're not going to keep it within single digits. Like, is Oregon really that good? Are we are we going there now? Because if you're going to win the national championship, you are that good. That, that's I mean, it's a, it's a football argument, right? There's a lot of football people that will say it's all about winning. Just get the win, and that's all that matters. I tend to lean more towards the stats. And, you know, things of that nature. rather Because you're objective and unemotional. I try not to be. I am definitely emotional sometimes, but, I, I you know, like I said, I just drown them down and then they bubble out. But I try not to be. I try Are to you look at sure it. that you're not from the Midwest or the East Coast? I may be. <laughs> um, but I, you're right. Maybe by my kickoff, I'm thinking Washington keeps it close. It wouldn't surprise me, right? It wouldn't surprise me if Washington wins this game outright. They're a really good team, and they're undefeated for a reason. I just look at it, and I'm like, man, Oregon is one of the best teams in the nation. They've played that way. Ever since the loss to Washington, you wouldn't be shocked that if Washington wins, but you're very confident Oregon covers. No, because it's the Pac-12. It's the Pac-12, Judah. It would be the most thematic thing that you know the Pac-12 eats its own, but it wouldn't really because UW would be going to the playoff in that scenario. If you're a Pac-12, if you're just a Pac-12 fan and you wanted one team to get to the playoff, have Washington win. They're in the playoff. Well, Oregon will likely be in too. But I want to go out to Roy in Portland, kind of on that. Hey, Roy, how are you? Hey, how you doing, guys? Great. Um, I don't think it's fair how this whole thing's going off. No. Um, if Oregon does beat Washington, Washington will be twelve and one. I don't think it's fair they drop off the out the out the top four and then Oregon comes in. Just like if Alabama beats Georgia, I don't think Georgia should drop off the top four. I mean. Something has to be said about going through the whole season undefeated. You know, you need. I, I don't. Agree, I don't agree with this. I don't. I don't like the way it is. It should be a regular season champion, and then the, the championship game champion. Well, Roy, what's your thought on Florida State then? Because the backup quarterback situation, like they're thirteen to zero, but I think you could argue Alabama's probably better than they are. Oregon's probably better than they are. Washington's probably better than they are. If they go thirteen to zero, you got to put them in, right? Yeah, you got to put them in because they're thirteen and zero, and they won their conference. But Washington beat Oregon. The, the best team Oregon played was Washington, and he, and you got beat. Because I don't, I don't really, I'm not really impressed by Oregon's schedule this year. I'm sorry. You played one team, and I was watching it, and you got beat by Washington. But what happens you if know? they beat Washington on Friday on a neutral site? Like if you beat them on a neutral site. You know, that has to at least matter for something when you lost on a last-second field goal attempt in a true road game, right? Yeah, but to me, it's just something about it that I don't like. Washington beat you during the season, and then now you can beat Washington in a championship game. Now Washington whole season is over when Oregon gets to go to the the playoffs. I I don't like that. Well, your you know, pro- your it seems like your issue is more with the number of teams that make the playoff than the that like in a twelve team, they'd be fine. In a four team, who, give me give me your top four, Roy. If Oregon beats Washington, and uh, just say your your Bulldogs beat Alabama, like w- would you have both Oregon and Washington in? I would like to see both Oregon and Washington. Yeah, I would like to see Oregon, Washington, Michigan. Yeah, yeah, break it up a little bit, but I appreciate it. Um, I think there's, you know, I I would, I do feel a little bit bad for Washington if you win. How many games in a row have they won now? I mean, 
Is it up to 20? It is, um, let me do a little math here on the radio, 19. Okay, so it's 19. All right. They won their final seven games of the season, counting the bowl game against Texas. Um, and then they've won 12 of this year. Imagine winning 19 games in a row and having zero college football playoff appearances to show for it and having zero Pac-12 titles to show for it. You went, you are, you have won 19 games in a row in major college football and you have not won your conference and you have not gone to the playoff. That's the reality for Washington Husky football if they lose Friday night. And that's, and that's unfair and kind of sucky. You're right. It is sucky. That's the system that they have in the college football playoff world of only four teams. But isn't that, I'll say this, I kind of love it. That's what college football is. You need to be perfect. You need to be great to get into the college football playoff. I understand that. Who's the actress that uh, that you have in mind when you say that you've got to be perfect in order to make the playoff? I'm just I'm just. Uh, I don't curious. know. What about? <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Um, <laughs> that you threw me off. No, uh, with, but with the twelve. Okay, like thinking back to this this Oregon Washington game. When we go to a twelve team playoff, this game doesn't matter because both teams are in. Go back to the Michigan Ohio State game last week. That game doesn't matter. Both those teams are in a playoff. College is going to lose a little bit of its luster with this 12-team playoff. It's great that it's going to open it up to numerous teams getting into a college playoff and, quote-unquote, having a chance to win. I think this is a really abnormal year where there are, you know, seven, eight teams that are actually have a legitimate chance. Usually it's about one or two that have a legitimate chance to win it all. Well, in the, I'm gonna in miss the it. future. That's why, that's why I love this game, Judah, because this game matters so much. The fact that you win, you get in. You control your destiny. Even the Georgia-Alabama game. If Georgia loses, there's a question of if they get in. Next season, that game doesn't matter. Both those teams are in. And so, for me, I love this, man. This is what college football is about. And I'm gonna we're going to lose a little bit of it next season when we expand the playoff. And I'm not happy about that. And we're going to lose the conference. <laughs> and the conference. <laughs> it's also a massive game because it's the last one in the history of uh, back to football. Let's go to line three. Uh, Steve is in Vancouver. Hey, Steve. Hey, how are you guys doing today? Great, great. Thanks for calling. Yeah, uh, listen, the BCS committee is there for a reason, and these games need context. The guy who was referring to Oregon getting beat by Washington, Oregon bumbled that game. That game was won. And Alabama and Auburn, same thing. That game was not won by Alabama. Auburn lost that game. And that's what the committee is there for, as well as Florida State, who, while unfortunate for their players who aren't quarterback, lost their quarterback. They're not the same team. That's why we have the BCS, to, to put these players and teams in that deserve to be in. Thanks for the call. <laughs> I was getting PTSD. Uh, I know when what you said, mean, though. He when he said BCS. Yeah, he's like, that's what that, yeah, that, uh, that hurts a little bit. I it's just that. a different three-letter abbreviation. That's all. CFP. Is, uh, is all he means. The, the the BCS selection committee would have been a lot of fun, too. <laughs> that's basically what the CFP is now. It's a little computers. It's a little bit humans. Uh, that's all it is. Uh, Freddy's in Medford on line two. Hey, Freddy. Yeah, it's all about the money and fan base. And the scenarios that you're talking about with Bama, if, if they win and get in over Oregon, uh, I just think Oregon, if they win Friday, they deserve to get in. As Bald Face has said in the past, this is a beauty pageant by invite. And there's only two teams that the committee should look at. They should look at their stats because there's only two teams that are top ten offensively and defensively. 
Do you know who those two teams are? Michigan and Oregon? No. Oregon and Georgia. Mm. Georgia I have a qualm with, but Oregon and Georgia give you the most defensively and offensively. And like you were saying, Stevie, earlier that uh, Oregon, they, they, they have dominated. They have their MOV, their margin of victory has been 26 points a game. And all the talk earlier in the season was how great the pack was. I'm not. I'm just not buying that that Bama should get in. Well, uh, I agree with you, Freddie, yeah, but yeah. like that would mean the SEC would be out of the playoff, and that's not happening. Do you well, think that is going to happen? Well, the SEC. What do they have? They have the bigger fan base, right? Uh, yeah. Have, also, have they have an existing West fan Coast base. <laughs> does not. We do not have the fan base that they do. I I totally understand that. They'll also be around next year. <laughs> What's that? They'll also be around next year. Right. But you have SEC teams. If you have two SEC teams in the playoff again, guys, and you shut out the West Coast, we're talking money. We're not talking football. But if you shut out the West Coast, we all know what kind of ratings we're going to have. They're going to suck. Well, yeah, I mean, I think the ratings might suck if there's no SEC team. Like, like they they get national ratings too, but my thing is too, Freddie. Like it wouldn't be two SEC teams; it would be the SEC champ, right? I mean, right? You right. know, like I don't know. I'm with you, Freddie. I think Oregon definitely deserves to be in the college football playoff because don't I mean they can win it all. They really can. They are that good. I just I I wouldn't want to be a college football playoff committee member that has to measure a one loss. SEC champion, a one-loss Georgia, and a one-loss Oregon in one spot. And a one-loss Texas who beat Alabama. I'm not even worried about Texas anymore. I can't wait for a 12-team playoff. I know. Finally, (laughs) perhaps get some of these SEC teams to come out to the West Coast and play. Wouldn't that be great? Yeah, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Thanks for the phone call. And you can follow up at 503-417-7575. I'm not worried about Sark. They've been ranked behind Oregon literally all year. They're now two spots behind Oregon. They beat Alabama. So? Double Th- digits if on that, the road. If that no mattered, credit. it would matter now. And it hasn't. I'm just saying, man, if you go 12-1, and one, you, win, you win the Big 12, and you have a resume-building win at Alabama. It's better if Alabama beats Georgia. That's what I'm saying. Like, there could be... There, it could be really straightforward, I think, of who the top four is. There could also be some real chaos going on. I, I Again, I think if you're a Duck fan, have Florida State lose to Louisville, there's no worries about anything. You're in easy if you can win on Go Friday. Louisville. Go Will Stein's alma mater. Ooh. By the way, that's another thing. Uh, at least your OC isn't going to leave for his head coaching job at Louisville unless Jeff Brom takes some random NFL job. But he's also at his alma mater, too. So... Stay there, Jeff. Yeah. Just win the ACC and solve a lot of problems for us. Uh, We'll bounce the break and come back. We'll keep talking a little bit more Jonathan Smith reaction as well. More CFP and and preview Friday's Pac-12 title showdown. Also, Stephen, you've got some thoughts on the Trailblazers coming out of a crazy win last night against the Pacers. I want to tee up for that a little bit more. We also have the 5 at 5 and Punch It Audio to get to. Judah Newby and Stephen Vaughn in for John Cazano right here on the Bold Face Truth.
You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald face truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. some uh, stuff to give away on the show today too i kind of forgot about that in hours one and two but uh in hour three we'll give away some stuff we got some tickets to some things and uh so you'll be want to be here in hour number three we've been talking some jonathan smith reaction today he gave his uh introductory press conference in east lansing he wasn't uh really all that convincing he also didn't wax poetic about how hard it was to leave oregon state he really was just saying how excited he was to be at Michigan State and uh, be a part of a national brand. I think Michigan State's a national brand. I know football's a big deal around here, but there's a lot of big-time deals around here in sports. I'm looking at Coach Izzo right now. Can't, can't wait. I've never gone to a college ice hockey game. Cannot wait to go down and check some of that out. <laughs> uh, he also is just talking about his excitement for being there. Let me tell you a little bit why. Uh, I'm so excited about Michigan State. I think, again, if we go back to this fit, let's talk schematics. Alan mentioned it. Yes, we want to make a physical brand of football on both sides of the, both sides of the ball. But at the same time, it leads to an innovative offense in regards to, yeah, we're going to take a chance once in a while, uh, make it physical, create explosive plays, defensively make it hard on the defense, not just by the physicality to play with, but the schematics. Uh, on that end. I think Michigan State's a place where you can develop. Michigan State's not just diving into a team meeting yesterday, diving into the idea of being a program, a program of substance on and off the field, a program where we're going to dive into lives and and beyond just being able to teach them how to be in the deep third in coverage or run a 15-yard in route. We want to be a place of substance on and off the field. Substance? Oh, where have I heard that word before? Um, now he, he did fine. And when he was thanking his family today and getting emotional, that was also, um, kind of, you know, authentic and, and good to hear as well, whether or not he'll be successful at Michigan state. I got to think about it a little bit more. I don't entirely know, but he's got to solve the quarterback position first. He's already had three scholarship quarterbacks enter the portal. What does that least. mean? Judah? Is, is that, that, is that an Aiden Giles, you know, bat signal? I think so. I don't know. I have no. I have no sources on that. But my gut would say that's what that means. And all season long, Jonathan Smith went out of his way to talk about how good Aiden Childs was. Every interview that he had on this show, either John asked him or Jonathan Smith went out of his way to say how good Aiden Childs was. I think he loves that guy. And you watched him play. He's got star written all over him. It makes a ton of sense for Aiden Childs to follow Jonathan Smith to Michigan State and be their starting quarterback from day one. Yeah. And it would make a lot of sense. Um, I just, man, I could see him transferring. I don't know necessarily that he would follow Smith to Michigan State, but I, I'm with you. I think that makes a lot of sense. Even though it seemed like he was kind of, you know, you know, when he tweeted the disguise face emoji, he felt hard done by by Jonathan Smith. But what the dude just turned 18, so maybe after it settles down a little bit, he talks to his family and his parents. He's from California. Um, you talk about a culture builder, though. Like that's the guy, right? That's, that's the guy, the guy to build you want to build around. No question about it. That's the guy that you want to build around. 
Uh, 503-417-7575. Dan Lanning also gave his weekly press conference uh, last night ahead of the matchup with Washington. We'll be talking about that matchup a little bit ahead of Friday night at 5 o'clock from Las Vegas, which, by the way, thank goodness that the game is in Las Vegas these days and not Santa Clara. That was just a terrible environment for a Pac-12 championship game uh, when it was in the at Levi Stadium. Just, I'm not surprised the Pac-12 would away. It was yeah, exactly. You know, the follow Champagne Larry's footsteps to that one. But in Vegas, it will be a raucous atmosphere. It will be sold out, and we've got all week to talk about it. Hour three, we'll start with the five at five, and your phone calls. That's coming up next on the Bold Face Truth. Well, we've done a great job of taking it one week at a time this year, and we haven't gotten ahead of ourselves because we know that each game uh, ultimately leads to another. And so all we got to worry about is Friday. You know, if you don't get the job done Friday, then uh, all that talk would be for no reason. So we really want to make sure that we're just concentrated on the game in Friday and that we put our, ourselves in the best chance uh, to go out there and get the win. Well, Bo's obviously an elite player, and we're still playing football. I think that speaks to the caliber of player that Bo is. You know, the fact that we're competing for a championship, you know, and leads the nation in passing. It's obviously, you know, I'm, I don't memorize all of Bo's statistics, but just watch Bo play and watch how much of a difference he makes for us. Um, but just as important uh, of that award, you know, what that is to Bo and our team, um, he's more excited about getting to play in a championship game this weekend. And I think anybody that's watched Bo Nix play, the caliber that he's played, recognizes that he's uh, definitely deserves merit for that, that award. Most importantly, and I thought this going to be tough, but I got to thank this crew right, right in front of me. These decisions are not easy. Um, I want to chase championships at the highest level, but at the same time create an atmosphere for my family to be special. And uh, that's why I go back to this fit. I appreciate you guys, Candace, Robert, Bella, and Charles, for coming along and believing in this ride that we're undertaking. Uh, so thank you. Some of the headlines on this Tuesday, November the 28th. We will get to the 5 at 5 momentarily. Judah Newby and Stephen Vaughn in for John Cazzano. And your phone calls at 503-417-7575. And your tweets at 750 The Game. Friday night, 5 o'clock in Vegas. Home of the Raiders. Allegiant Stadium. Sold out to see the 5th-ranked Oregon Ducks and the 3rd-ranked Washington Huskies battle it out for the Pac-12 championship. The Pac-12 championship matchup that we were supposed to have in 2020, but couldn't get back in uh, the COVID-impacted season. Did that season ever really happen? Oregon ended up beating USC in that uh, Vegas game. 2021 rolled around. Mario Cristobal rumors were uh, in full throat, and he ultimately went to Miami, and Oregon got their ass kicked by Kyle Whittingham in that game. 2022 comes around, and Kyle Whittingham says, I'm still the best there is in this here land. And uh, Caleb Williams, the reigning Heisman winner, decides to paint F Utah on his fingernails. The hell are we doing out here, Caleb? And he decided to get his ass kicked after uh, busting his hamstring after taking an early lead in that game. And Utah beat USC twice that year in a battle of two Pac-12 South teams. This year we get two Pac-12 North teams. And rivals in another rematch on Friday night in Las Vegas. And the Duckies are favored by nine to nine and a half points. If you ask me right now, I'm laying the number with Oregon. 
But damn, is that not a lot of points for a team that hasn't lost in 19 straight games, Stephen Vaughn? Good thing uh, the Pac-12 did away with the North and South divisions. I think that's that's the good thing. Last yeah, that couple was a smart seasons. move. Smart move because they're also would not be getting the Oregon Ducks, Washington Huskies. That's one for George. But uh, yeah, there you go, George. Good job. I'm I'll give you a job. I'll give good job. Good job. Good job. Uh, but yeah, no nine and a half points. It seems like a lot, but I'm with you. Like. I can't pick against this Oregon team right now. I, I think they're the best team in the Pac-12. I don't really think it's close, but the way they've been playing, I know Washington's on that 19-game winning streak, but, man, they have snuck by the last you know six or so games. Uh, they've all been really close. They should have lost to Washington State last week. I, I think something's wrong with Penix. You know, Everyone out in Seattle is saying there's nothing wrong with him. I can't believe that, but... Man, Judah, that's going to be a fun game. I think a lot is going to be on the line. So Heisman all, Trophy, CFP, everything. It all comes unraveled for the Huskies on Friday night is what you're saying. I think like so. It's all going to be laid bare. Like, they, they are a flawed team, and it's all about to get exposed. I, They're about I to be stripped so. down to their bare bones, and we're going to see them for what they really are. I kind of think so. I think it's, I think it, it's not going to be as bad as the Oregon State offense was on Friday in the Civil War where they you know they you know, scored you know not very much but I think it's going to be a blowout. I think Oregon's yeah. going to win easily uh in this game. I don't think Washington's defense is going to be able to stop Oregon. We'll be close at halftime and pull away in the second half or are you thinking it's like Colorado game like from jump beating them up and punching them in the mouth. I know the Washington defense has played better. I just don't see them stopping this Oregon offense. Bo Nix has this thing cooking so well and and Troy Franklin's so awesome. Tez Tez Johnson has really emerged last half of the season to be a really good player. Bucky Irving obviously is great too. Like, you know, Troy Franklin's the best receiver in Duck history. I, like, that's my take. I really think he is. He's the best receiver in Duck history. I agree. And the way that him and Bo Nix are on the same page right now, and then of course Tez Johnson's on the same page. Like, this Oregon offense has been unstoppable. And I just don't think Washington's defense is going to be able to hold it down. So I think Washington's going to score some, but I think Oregon is just going to score more. And I think it's going to be a double-digit win for Oregon. They're going to look good doing it, and they're going to be in the CFP. You know, it'll be uh, it'll be fascinating to see. We got college football playoff rankings an hour ago. Oregon moves up one spot to number five. Florida State remains at number four. And Washington is at number three with Michigan at number two and Georgia at number one. Uh, Ohio State drops four spots from two to six behind the Ducks, notably, entering this, uh, this weekend of co- conference championships. And Texas remains two spots behind Oregon now at number seven before their Big 12 championship battle with Mike Gundy. At number eight is Alabama, and they face the top-ranked Georgia Bulldogs in the SEC championship in Atlanta on Saturday afternoon, a game that you can hear right here on the BFT Radio flagship, 750 the game, uh, Crimson Tide and Bulldogs. Uh, The winner of that game has got to be in the playoff. The loser of that game, if it's Georgia... Are they still in the playoff? That's my one worry. If Georgia loses to Alabama in a close game, are you put in Florida State beats Louisville? It's it's a beauty pageant of Oregon against Georgia at that point, and that's one that knocks my knees a little bit. If I'm an Oregon fan, I got to say, you, you'd be saying, hey, we won the Pac-12, but really, the two-time reigning national champion you're going to leave out just because they lost Alabama at the end of the year? Whew, I hope we don't get to that scenario, but... If you're not worried about it, feel free to talk me off the ledge at 503-417-7575. Steven, let's hit the five at five. The five at five. Number one. Yeah, baby. Number one. What you got? I'm glad you know where that is. Well, you, you, we just touched on it a little bit, but the CFP rankings are out. Uh, Oregon, they do move up to number five after their win 
against Oregon State. Pac-12 has four teams in the top 25. Washington, number three. Arizona, number 15. And Oregon State, after the loss, falls to number 20. Um, I think you're right. I think it's interesting that Oregon's ahead of all the other one-loss teams still. They've been that way the entire entire college football rankings. I think that's good news for Oregon. I think the fact that Oregon State is number 20 and there's no way they're really going to fall out of the final top 25 poll is very important for Oregon as well to get, you know, they'll have two top 25 wins. It seems as if to me, Judah, if Florida State loses to Louisville, which is very possible with the backup quarterback, Oregon's in for sure. But I think even without it, I think a win and Oregon is in the college football playoff remains to be seen, though. Even if Bama beats Georgia? I think so. I think but how close is it? It's very close. I, uh, I tell you what. If there's chaos at Alabama beats Georgia, I would be biting my fingernails if I'm a Duck fan. That is the, not the situation you want. That'd be an awkward phone call, Dan Landing, to Kirby Smart. Hey, Kirby. Hey, uh, I know you guys beat us 49-3 uh, to last year, but we won the Pac-12 this year, so suck it. We're in the playoff, and you're not. <laughs> oh, it's going to be a, a crazy thing. By the way, some bull projections out there. You and I talked about this off-air. One of the bowl projections for Oregon State is a holiday bowl against Clemson. DJU against Clemson in a bowl game. How do you think that would go? I don't hate it. I think that is a very intriguing matchup, and I would be looking for a uh, team team prop bet of Clemson's sacks because I feel like they would be trying to get after DJ Uyunglele in that game. Number two. Well, we reported this last week, Judah, that Chip Kelly is about to be fired after the USC game. I guess it was two weeks ago. Now the word is he's not going to be fired, and he is going to be staying <laughs> at UCLA. Uh, um, now, there was a uh, banner flying above the UCLA uh, offices today. It said, quote, read the room, fire Chip Qu- Kelly, end quote, um, telling Martin Jarmon to read the room and get rid of the former Duck coach now that he's at UCLA. He has struggled the last couple seasons. He's 500 in his career at UCLA, which is not great, uh, but it looks like Chip Kelly will be back for another season in Westwood as they head over to the Big Ten. I mean, if you're Chip Kelly, like, are you doing it because you love it or are you doing it because you're getting the paycheck? Because it seems to me like it's just not very fun to be around that program right now. And you're going to the Big Ten. It's about to get even more taxing. I don't know. I think people are being way too hard on Chip Kelly. I think he's still a really good college. Do you think he deserves to be fired? No. Really? People are no. Are you kidding me? You remember what Chip Morrow was doing there? What do we think that UCLA is just some like great program? They just kicked USC's ass and then just got absolutely dump trucked by Cal. Which, by the way, you called. I was on that one. Everyone says, oh, UCLA, they don't care about football. If you don't care about football, why the hell are you firing Chip Kelly? Why are you flying banners over buildings? Yeah. You're going to the Big Ten. That's how bad he is as as he's been as a coach, though. Like, that's he's getting the fans enraged. You've got Aikman and the Wassermans backing Chip Kelly. Game over. You're not firing him when you got your, you know, I don't know how much money Aikman's got back in UCLA. He's got his own beer now and all that, but it's not nothing. It's not nothing. I think Chip's, I think Chip deserves to be there if he wants to be there. And I have no idea how they're going to do in the Big Ten, but I can't wait for, uh, I can't wait to see it. Number three. 
Speaking of coaches in the Big Ten, Jonathan Smith officially announced and had his press conference today at Michigan State. Contract deets are out. Uh, Jonathan Smith, he's going to be getting $7.25 million a year at Michigan State. That's according to their athletic director. When he was at Oregon State, he was getting $4.85 million. So, uh, you know, two in the, a little over $2 million raise Smith will be getting in East Lansing. He also gets a seventh year in the contract for Michigan State, so he'll be there, you know, should be there for a while uh, if he lives up to the contract. Sounds like Michigan State is really investing in Jonathan Smith and going to let him take over the program and rebuild it as they were. Uh, they've been a dumpster fire. Speaking of dumpster fires, they've been one last couple seasons with Mel Tucker and all that situation. So Jonathan Smith getting a little bit of a pay bump. Um, I, I kind of thought it was going to be more of a pay bump. It shocked me that it was still in the sevens. I thought it was going to be closer to eight, maybe even nine. But uh, you know what? It sounds like Jonathan Smith to me, Judah. He really just doesn't like the situation Oregon State is in with the unknown of the conference going to the Mountain West. He's too good to coach there, and he was looking to get out of Corvallis, which is sad to me, but I totally understand his circumstance and wanting to coach in the top conferences. I'm getting the same vibes. The more I'm looking at it and reading about it and listening to Jonathan, it, it seems like the he was in the barn as soon as the Pac-12 collapsed, even though Jonathan says that didn't have a lot to do with it. Like, how could it not? He was probably going to stay at Oregon State if the Pac-12 was still around and Oregon State was still winning in a conference that mattered. There'd be no real reason to leave. But at the same time, you know, he says he was always looking for the next step, pretty much. So he was, even though it was his alma mater and he's got a ton of roots, it sounded like he was always going to be looking for the next thing. That's what he's saying, at least. But I don't even know what to believe anymore. I'm disappointed. I thought he was going to be at Oregon State for the long haul. I don't really hold it against him because it's really tough to say, yeah, I'm going to be just fine here with all the unknown. I'll also say that it sounds like Scott Barnes knew for a while. I mean, he said Michigan State reached out a long time ago. And, you know, he's no dummy. He probably had been planning for this possibility for much of the season as well. So what? that gives me a little bit of comfort. I don't think he was blindsided by this. I'll that's that that's a really good point because it sounds like Trent Bray should be announced as the head coach tomorrow. Not official yet, but sounds like they were on the, you know, Jonathan Smith just made the decision a couple days ago. And it only took the Beavers a couple days to find out who they want to be as have their head coach. So they had their... They had their interviewees ready to go, and they interviewed a lot of people. You know, Some reports saying Trent Bray is the guy. There's still other reports out there. There could be numerous guys, but expect a decision tomorrow from Oregon State to announce their head coach. I think I think Jonathan decided a while ago. And I think he let, I think he let Scott Barnes know. He may not have yeah. let the players know, but I think he did or give— Jimmy Sexton let right. Scott so, Barnes know. <laughs> somebody, somebody gave the heads up to Scott Barnes there. Number four. Well, Judah, listen to this. Cam Ward, Washington State quarterback, he still has a year of eligibility left. Remember, he transferred from Incarnate Word, went over to Washington State, been there the last two seasons, had a really nice year this year. Washington State fell off, should have been 6-6, six and six, beat Washington, but they didn't end up 5-7. and seven. Well, our friends up at Seattle Sports, Brock Heward, Brock and Salk, they were talking about Cam Ward, and Brock Heward had this to say about Cam Ward and what his potential landing spot next next year could be if he's not in Washington State. The next six, seven days in the amount of free agent dollars thrown around right now in college football with the portal opening next Monday. Yeah. Like, you think the coaching changes and all this stuff's interesting? Uh-uh. Mm. Wait till you see where, in, you know. <laughs> Everybody I heard, ends up going. Let's just say I heard from one source and a pretty dialed-in one that Cam Ward, 
right? And this is what just drives these guys crazy. Okay, have the portal open on Monday. Let's make this all a fair game. Oh, no, no. All the agents and the runners and the money guys are already out there. Cam Ward has 10 seven-figure deals waiting for him. He has 10 different deals from around the country that will pay him seven figures to come be their quarterback. That is How ludicrous is college football right now? And that is why you need your coach in place. But uh, 10 $1 million offers apparently on the table for Cam Ward. Uh, There have been some schools that have surfaced that have supposedly contacted him already on that list. Oregon, Washington, Notre Dame, Texas A&M, and Auburn. That according to Jacob Davis, who is a uh, recruiting uh, guy for SI Now. Uh, So maybe Oregon could be getting Cam Ward. But Cam Ward is going to be a hot commodity in the uh, transfer portal. Well, if he if he makes, if he goes in the transfer portal, he hasn't officially done it yet. Yeah, I would say that, um, you know, I, we should be talking about who Oregon's next quarterback is going to be, because in all the hype of Bo Nix and Bodacious and being the Heisman front runner, and we want to celebrate that if and when that happens, there's another conversation of wait, who's the next guy? And uh, it's you know, Ty Ty is obviously not. Uh, dominated. They've got what Luke Moga, something like that, five star kid that's uh, that's coming in as well. Nova Sad, four star kid. They got this past recruiting cycle that ain't half bad. But I feel like Oregon is a transfer portal quarterback destination now, and it's been that way since Vernon Adams. You know, I guess uh, yeah. you know Masoli transferred in from a oh, yeah. from a from a small school, didn't he? Yep. And then he transferred out to Ole Miss. <laughs> I forgot Jeremiah Masoli at Ole Miss. But um, I remember when Vernon Adams came from Eastern Washington and there was the math test and everything. And, like, there's he didn't even know he was going to play until, like, week one of the season. Then you had Dakota Prukop transfer Prukop, in. Yeah. And that was 2016. And the whole, you know, the whole conversation around Oregon as a quarterback destination began to change from – are we grassroots or are we transfer destination? That was like seven years ago. Herbie put a big stop to that for four years. But now it's kind of back a little bit, especially with the portal being the way it is and NIL and all that and, and the deep pockets of the collective. I think going forward, Oregon's probably not a, you know, draft and develop, if you will. Is that is that good for the program, though? Like, is that what's best for the Oregon program? Or do you want to develop somebody in-house? Like, wouldn't it be better if Ty Thompson, you develop him, and you can just recruit these guys, and you don't have to rely on the transfer portal? You mean, what's better? You know, who who gives you a better chance to win big? I just feel like in the bigger, in the big picture, like, if you have to rely on the transfer portal every year, that can come back to haunt you at some point. I think in a perfect world, you're not reliant on the portal. But that's your default setting, and you always have somebody in the in the holster ready to develop. I don't know if that's practical or realistic, but that's where I go with it. Number five. MLB Hall of Famer Andre Dawson. Judy, he wants his Hall of Fame plaque changed. Now, Dawson is in the Hall of Fame. He has an Expos hat on. <laughs> the Hall of Fame since 2001. They are the ones that actually select what cap a player wears when he's on the plaque, uh, not the actual player himself. So the Hall of Fame did opt for Dawson to wear that Expos hat when he was inducted in 2010, which made him the second Hall of Famer as an Expo, as Gary Carter is the other oh, one. Gary Carter. I was trying to think. Uh, should have let you guess. Uh, now, yeah, there's other, there's are some guys that don't have 
logos on their hats. Uh, most recently, Fred McGriff does not have a logo on his cap as he's in the Hall of Fame as he played for a million different teams and was awesome. What? Uh, what? Is there any logo on his hat or no. is it just a blank hat? Blank it should hat. be like the MLB logo. Like a... Uh, Rob Lowe, Rob Lowe, Rob, the NFL Rob hat. Rob Lowe's NFL hat. <laughs> yeah, but uh, Fred McGriff doesn't have a logo. Uh, Dawson, he he mm. expressed his appointment when the original decision was made uh, back in 2010 when he was inducted. He wanted to be a Cub. He just felt like he he sees himself more as a Cub rather than Expo. But he is back out there saying he would love to have his plaque changed uh, to wear a Chicago Cubby hat rather than Montreal Expo hat. And I feel like with free agency so relevant now, I kind of like it. You know what? Just kind of how you're feeling in the mood. Like Shohei Otani when he goes to the Dodgers. Just going to the Dodgers or the Angels. How about both? How about be able to have, uh, you know, changeable hats on your plaque? Like one of the, you know, the mom of the of the sons that are playing against each other in a college football game. Yeah, they're wearing like half jersey. and half jerseys. Just put them in a half jersey and, uh, and call it good. I feel like you could 3D print these. 3D print the plaques, you know, just different... Hats on them. I still think the MLB logo would be funnier. Harmon Killebrew. Um, well, pretty soon it's going to be their own brand. Their brand logo on there. Gross. LeBron James going in in a LeBron jersey. Is there any sanctity anymore? I have been to both Cooperstown and the Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame. I have not been to Canton. That's the other Hall of Fame I want to get to. I also want to go to the College Football Hall of Fame. I haven't. I can't remember where that is. Is that in, is that in the South? Or is that in St. Louis? I can't remember. I gotta, I gotta figure but it out. Do you think that the committee should vote for what player go, or what hat they wear, or should the player? I think the it's the player. player. The player should. It's that way in basketball, right? Didn't Drexler get to choose? Yeah, Rockets. I mean, I love the fact that I get to be offended every time I think about Clyde Drexler because of that. It makes you hate him more. And yet we have a street named after him right outside the arena. I'm, I'm on Dawson's tide here. Let him wear the cubby hat. Let him wear the cubby hat. Although, I kind of am the other way. Like, we got to have some expos exposure. They're not even a team. They should be. It's a shame that they're not. They would have won it all in 94. They're just deleted from the history books, just like the Sonics. And that's the 5 at 5. What Hall of Fame do you want to go to? Probably the basketball one. I guess, yeah. No, I'd probably go baseball. Baseball seems like the most prestigious one. The Basketball Hall of Fame has a lot of guys that don't really belong in there, I don't think. I mean, so does baseball, but basketball is just like Mitch Richmond, guys like that. It's like, whatever. He's in the Hall of Fame. I believe so, yeah. That seems like a stretch, but what do I know? The Baseball Hall of Fame, I feel like, is like the ultimate. It's the ultimate Hall of Fame, right? There's just so much history behind it. I, I think I would rather do Cooperstown. I will say Cooperstown is it is a town. That's the other thing. Like, it's an actual township with people living in it. Um, it's up, you know, like, what, two and a half hours maybe away from New York City. You have to drive upstate quite a bit. We were on our way to a wedding in Rochester at the time. And it wasn't, like, on the way, but we were like, we got to go. So we went. It was around. It was a couple of weeks before Halloween. And there's, like, a kind of tucked-in restaurant across the street from the Hall of Fame. And it was just kind of like this nice little restaurant coat, but it was all decked out in Halloween uh, stuff. It was kind of creepy. It was like Cooperstown at Halloween. I just wanted a normal baseball Hall of Fame experience. Now I'm getting fake spiders on a random cheeseburger while uh, thinking about going to see Andre Dawson in an Expos hat. It was a little weird, but I, I enjoyed it. I will say, though, like 
the Hall of Fame, it's more about the conversation than I think the actual place. Like, there's way more conversation and debate about the Hall of Fame than there is, like, substance inside the museum. Maybe it's the fact that I'm not a big museum guy, but I am a big history guy. I don't know why it didn't resonate with me more. I would have thought a trip to the Baseball Hall of Fame would have, like, hit home. Well, and you're a baseball guy, too. I love baseball history, man. Like, there was one point in my life where I thought I was going to be, like, a professional baseball historian, like John Thorne. Uh, and I met John Thorne. He spoke at just a few blocks from us here in downtown Portland at one of the churches here. Boy, that was, uh, he was speaking at uh, an event that uh, our friends at the Oregon Historical Society were putting on about the rules of baseball, like the official rules of baseball. I was at this event, and I was at, like, the same table as Bill Shonley, and right behind me was Ted Kulingoski, the former governor of uh the state and like i'm i'm a nobody at this point this was like a few years ago but i love john thorne because i love the uh the documentaries put together by ken burns on baseball like i memorized those things and thorne was all over though and so when i saw that thorne was coming to portland a we booked him on the show with Kenzano that week and b i got to go to that event and it was like a lot of people that mattered in our area and me just kind of sitting there, you know, having dinner and trying not to look like a fool, but also just soaking up the uh, the history of baseball in, in that and sitting next to the Shans and Ted Kuligoski. That was uh, that was quite the experience that a young newbie will never forget. Uh, but the Baseball Hall of Fame, I, I definitely like to go back and spend more time there. That's the other thing. If you're going to the Hall of Fame, you want to be able to give yourself plenty of room to operate and uh, to enjoy it. I was a little bit pressed for time, so... I was running around the bases pretty quickly. Uh, we'll come back. We'll still play some punch and audio. We'll also get a little bit more Jonathan Smith reaction and keep breaking down ducks and dogs Friday night in Vegas. You can chime in at 503-417-7575. Newbie and Vaughn in for John Canzano on the Bold Face Truth. Back to the Bold Face Truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Well, three, four, one, seven, seventy-five, seventy-five. Newbie and Vaughn in for John Kizano. Jonathan Smith introduced in East Lansing today. Kind of an uneven performance from him uh, at his press conference, but um, he also said, "Hey, look, Oregon State meant a lot to me, but I'm glad I'm here." And that's basically the length that he got, uh, you know, emotional of any kind talking about Oregon State. We'll get some of that audio and react to a lot more coming up right here in Punch It Audio. We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Face Truth Headquarters. Hey, we're all about truth, justice, and the American way here, okay? Which is why we've spanned the globe and pulled the top audio cuts of the day. You're going to hear little snippets of sound. Hey, it's time for Punch It Audio. Presented by First Call Heating and Cooling. But let's start with your Portland Trailblazers. Getting off the schneid with a big win in Indiana last night. Punch it. Malcolm. Malcolm did a great job of just commanding the, uh, commanding the pace of the game, commanding the court. I think uh, we learned from yesterday. We we let the game go. Uh, we know we had to stay poised today. Uh, we talked about it earlier today and after the game last night. So. Uh, we know we had to do. That was the voice of Jeremy Grant. 34 points, 17 in the fourth quarter for him. They were double-digit dogs, Stephen, on the second night of a back-to-back in which 
the previous day they gave up a 26 point lead to Damian Lillard in Milwaukee lo and behold they go and beat a Pacers team that's very good offensively how in the world did that happen? Yeah, I mean, here's the thing about Portland this year. Defensively, when they're healthy, they've been pretty solid this year. They showed that last night, especially in the second half. They played really well against Indiana, which is a shock because the last you know, handful of years, the Portland Trailblazers defense has been terrible. And I tell you what, Judah, like, the Blazers team isn't very good, but they are fun to get on board right now. And I, I, I think they're way, there's more fun to watch without Damian Lillard. Not saying Dame's a bad player. Dame's one of the best players in Blazer history. But I find this team much more likable, much more fun to watch on the court. And Dame's not having a great year in Milwaukee either. The Bucks were the number two or three defense, depending on what defensive rating you look at. Now they're 20th. Is it a Dame problem? I don't know. But they're also not great on offense when he's on the court either. They're a worse offensive team with Dame on the court than the Bucks are. I'm not saying Dame, I just think it's hard to play with a guy like Damian Lillard when he's going to command the ball so much. And you know when he has the ball, shots going up. Defensively, that's easy to guard. Now, Dame's going to hit these shots, but with this Trailblazer team, they have numerous guys that they share the ball around. DeAndre Ayton had over 20. Malcolm Brogdon had over 20. Jeremy Grant had 30, like you said. They spread the ball around a little bit. They get get after you a little bit more on defense. This team's not very good, and I know that. But I tell you what, I like the foundation that they have right now. Chauncey Billups is showing me a little bit more as a coach. I'm not sold on him yet, but he's showing me a little more. I like this Trailblazers team. I think they're a lot of fun right now. To that point, you're having more fun rooting for him right now than you have in in a while. I will say that. My fandom, with Dame, it just got got stale. It got stale a little bit with Damian Lillard. I knew what the the best thing was, and that was a first-round exit. I know with this team, they're not going to make the playoffs. My fandom has kind of been rejuvenated a little bit. I, I just think it's a lot more fun right now. The unknown of what could happen with the Trailblazers. Scoot Henderson coming back, hitting some shots. He's making some plays. You see the potential with him. I don't know. I, I like it. I hope Dame has success in Milwaukee. But I tell you what, I'm having a lot more fun as a Blazer fan watching this team without Damian Lillard. Elsewhere, Jonathan Smith introduced N. East Lansing. He was talking about the path that eventually led him to Michigan State. Punch it. 2016, sounds like we were following a university the year before in the college football playoff. Um, a great, great experience of winning the Pac-12 championship. And that led to an opportunity to go back to the alma mater and take on this idea of being a head coach. Place was, uh, got there six years ago. A place was not having a ton of success, had some turmoil, different things going on, and was excited about diving into it, learning the players, changing the culture, creating a space where people could do their best work, and we dove into it. Had a, uh, a lot of great memories, connections, recruiting, brought a staff down there that we put together that worked uh, for six years straight. Seven out of the ten coaches there for those six years were there the entire time. The ten position coaches, seven of them, were there with me for six years. And then like Alan mentioned last couple of years, had a little bit more success, got to the point to where this end of the year conversations. And I kept coming back to this idea of playing at the highest level, playing in a place where you could fit and be the type of dad, father, husband you wanna be, let alone for myself and and for the staff wanna create. All eyes now on who the quarterback is going to be at Michigan State, and is there any chance that uh, Jonathan is going to be bringing some luggage with him, and it's Louie. And Jonathan Smith's version of Louie would be Aiden Childs. Uh, Max Brown talked about that. 
college football analyst. Punch it. It would not surprise me if Aiden Childs, Oregon State's current backup quarterback, is Michigan State's starting quarterback next year. And that's no slight against DJ Uyunglele. Throughout the season, he's played well for them. But Aiden Childs, I mean, I've heard it from Jonathan Smith himself, he's as promising of a true freshman quarterback as Jonathan Smith has been around. I thought that even if Jonathan Smith did not make this move, that Aiden Childs was potentially a transfer portal get for some school. I think with Jonathan Smith heading to Michigan State, would not surprise me at all if Aiden Childs is Michigan State's starting quarterback next year. I don't think that Childs was going to be transferring if Smith stayed. I think he was going to be the starting quarterback. I think he was going to be the state. No matter what, even if DJ wanted to come back. You think DJ wants to come back? No, but I'm just saying. He might. I, I think Aiden Giles would have been the guy. Yeah, he might. And it might just be a matter of time before we learn Aiden Childs is going to Michigan State. And if he is, it's a great get. And uh, there is some breaking news on Twitter. There was a picture spotted of Trent Bray wearing a suit outside of the Oregon State uh, facilities. So maybe that hmm. means head coach wearing a suit. I don't know. Casual Tuesday? No, I mean, it's a, you know, it's a, it's an actual suit. That's what a head coach would wear. That is what a head coach would wear. Defensive that, coordinator is not wearing a suit. He's not wearing a suit. Tuesday at 5. What does that mean, Judah? Uh, and our friend uh, Jake Hedberg at Beaver Blitz is saying that there's a team meeting scheduled for 6 o'clock tonight. And Trent Bray is... And Trent uh, Bray is wearing a suit. In Corvallis, walking the streets. So. What does that mean? Jonathan Smith coming back. No, I'm just kidding. But does that keep Aiden Childs in in Corvallis? No. Keeping keeping it like the same. It doesn't mean he's leaving, but to your point that you said earlier in the show, a defensive coordinator being retained as head coach isn't what Aiden Childs needs to hear. But at least it has the cohesiveness of what it was. Sort of. Because Lindgren's probably gone. Yeah. If, if, if one of them was Lindgren, it'd be different, not Bray. I agree. Well, I, do you think Bray and Childs have spoken much? I, I mean, maybe, but I think I think Childs I is gone. Yeah, if I had to bet, I think Childs is in East Lansing with Jonathan Smith. I think he's the, he's the right guy to build that culture around. Um, I think it sucks as an Oregon State guy that if you root for Oregon State, you lose a guy like that. But I think it makes a lot of sense for both parties for Oregon or for Jonathan Smith and for Aiden Childs. Washington, Oregon, Friday night. Kalen DeBoer, he's got his team on a 19-game win streak, and he says this is why we all ran it back this year. Punch it. Since uh, January 3rd when we had our first team meeting, you know, guys decided to come back, um, you know, come back, and it was to win a championship, you know, and you don't talk a lot about it um, once you get into the season because you're just, you're focused on the next game, the next game's the most important, and uh, now we get to, you know, focus on the next game, and that next game is the, the championship game that uh, that we've had our, our sights set on since day one. 19-game win streak. And you're telling me they're going to lose by double digits just because? Like, I don't know, man. I think by Friday night, there's going to be value on Washington at least to cover. Like, Oregon's been playing that well, no question. But, I mean... UW is also going to be the best team that they've faced since UW. <laughs> October 14th, right? I mean, have they played a team as good as Washington since the Washington game? Oregon State sure as hell wasn't. USC wasn't. Utah? Utah wasn't. I don't know. I, to me, that number is I, just a touch inflated. I feel like you're you're starting to talk yourself into Washington a little bit. Am I talking you into it? No. To cover? No. 
10-point game. No, I, I think Oregon is much better than Washington. I think they were. And they'll play it. They'll play that way. They're, I think they they're were down one of their starting corners when they against lost. the best receiving core in football. When they lost in Seattle, I think they were the better team. I think they're improved. And I think by Washington, six and a half points. And I think Washington's the worst team. Nay, by were. 12 points. They're better by 12 points. Yes. All right. We'll, we'll have a chance to we'll hash to this go, out even we might more. Have to go show that. Right now, right now, I just think that's a lot of points just to just blindly lay for a team that hasn't lost since October of last year. It's wild. And we're just going to say that they're going to get their ass kicked. All right. 503-417-7575 if you've got an uh, opinion on that as well. Uh, Brandon Dorless also wanted to get this uh, this clip in. He says how Oregon is fully bought in. You know, I, th- I feel like this team, not, not just defense, but bought into – you know, constant improvement. Like, what can we do better? You know, after that loss, you know, it left a nasty feeling on my mouth. So, you know, we watch that game every week. You know, how can we improve? And I feel like we're hungrier. We got more physical. You know, we're, we're more amped up. And uh, I feel like we're confident in each other. And I feel like it's going to be a, a great show on Friday. I love the confidence. And I also love the way the defensive line has been playing and the offensive line. But Dorless and Birch. They've become bona fide dudes, throwing a little Casey Rogers and Taki Taimani in there. And the defensive front is good. A little Mateo in there. Like, there's a chant. Like, remember last year how Caleb got hurt after USC had like a 14-3 lead early? And that changed the entire game. But Utah just relentlessly, you know, swarmed Caleb Williams in that game. There's a version of this game on Friday night where the dam breaks and Penix is just getting lit up. By the duck pass rush that wasn't the case in seattle even though they were okay but they weren't great in seattle the pass rush has gotten a lot better since that game a month and a half ago yeah it seems like they've taken it personally um getting called out a little bit and i i think you're right on that's been the big difference the first half of the year the second half of the season with the ducks defensively is they're getting after the quarterback and when they do that it makes it just so much harder and i think you got to get penix off his spot if he could just stand back there and make a play yeah penix is going to sling it around and make some plays of roma dunze all those guys but if you can make him hurry a little bit penix has been shown in his career to make mistakes and throw a pick here throw a pick there i think oregon gets it done i think that's how they get to michael penix they get to after him he makes a bad throw oregon makes a play in the secondary and uh kind of like you said the damn breaks i think oregon's oregon i think oregon's win by win comfortably in this game i feel real good about it I'm going to try to convince you of Washington covering by the end of the week. And if I don't, maybe I end up laying Oregon and the points. You were seeing the board so clearly last week. We both were on the Ducks laying the big number against Oregon State. Confidently. Very confidently, yeah. Very confidently, especially after Jonathan's Canzano appearance. Saying, oh, yeah, my agent, he better be talking to people. And I'm like, Oregon by a million. And uh, that and I... It could have been worse than 31-7. Should have been. Know that. Yeah. Hell, they had the football for like two-thirds of the game. It's crazy. Uh, 503 forward 775-75. Where are you putting your early uh, early money or your early bet, even if it's just verbal, unless you're going down to Chinook or I guess you couldn't do the bet this at A-Lene this week. You can't, no. That, you know, so good for Chinook or Spirit Mountain this week uh, or the other offshores. Where are, you, where are your duck money going? Are you hedging if you're a duck fan and, and betting Washington to cover and keep it within 10? Or are you saying, no, the time is now and we're going to lay the Huskies bare? 19-game win streak out the window. Washington loses. They'll have won 19 games in a row and not even have a conference title. 
to show for it. That'd be tough. Tough bananas if you're Kalen and co. Uh, more of your phone calls and reaction, and uh, we'll talk a little bit more Blazers and uh, Ducks up to number five in the CFP ahead of Friday's conference championship game. Newby and Vaughn in for John Cazzano right here on the Bald Face Truth. Back to the Bald Face Truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Well, I can't wait for October 5th next year when Michigan State comes to Oregon and Jonathan Smith comes back to the state for the first time with uh, with Gang Green. What do you think Mike Riley would be saying to Jonathan Smith right about now? He's like, hey, uh, Big Ten ain't all it cracked up to be there, Johnny. Yeah, maybe uh, maybe I should just stay at Oregon State. That's uh, <laughs> what I think Mike Riley might say. But I, I don't know. Totally, I, I don't totally hold it against him. Though. Yeah, for sure. For sure. But is there something to that thing where guys that leave Oregon, guys that leave Oregon State, it's a bumpy ride? You know, we've been talking about that all week. Like, it's, a, it's been a bumpy ride for anybody that's left for another job. Either duckies or beefs. Don't discriminate. So what do you say? Are you, Riles, Are you, are you trying to say that Jonathan Smith should have stayed, Judah? Do you think in five years, Jonathan Smith is looking was, back and saying, man, I should have stayed in Corvallis? Is there something, though, But for the Michigan State job? That, that's fair. Like, like can you have waited one more year? I mean, you got to know that there is going to be a better job than Michigan State a year from now. Right? Or am I just totally not seeing the value of moving to the Eastern time zone for a program that just bought out Mel Tucker and is in the middle of investigations and litigation and going to a Big Ten conference that still has Oregon and Washington and USC and UCLA in it, and your big brother is an even stronger big brother than the big brother that you had in your previous family. Well, how much stock do you put in the fact that Michigan State has made the college football playoff before? Yeah, how'd it go? Not great. They they still have yet to score a point in the college football playoff. Uh, Oregon State football just tweets out, damn right, five minutes ago. What does it mean, Judah? Paul Christ. Paul Christ. No. No, I, I, I'm with you. I agree on this that it could be bad for Jonathan Smith, and it could end up where he's, you know, six and six, five and seven, and that's kind of where Michigan State is. I just think right now he wants to be at the top level, and the uncertainty with Oregon State, the fact that they're not in a conference, and it seems like it's going to be a Mountain West Pac-2 combination, and there's no, there's no lane in sight that says this is the way to get to a Power Four. I don't see. I don't see. Would, the would he come back? You think? At some point, Gonzano wouldn't rule it out Monday. He was saying that there's a version of this where a few years down the road, Smithers says, you know what? I do love you, Corvallis. I think so. I think there's a version where it's Oregon kind of burning State, bridges, though, right now, I feel like. Look, I, I said this earlier. I think there's got to be time to heal. I think Jonathan Smith is not happy with Corvallis and Oregon State with the way it all went down. I, I think there's a little bit of, um, you know, just just anger with the Pac-12, anger with Oregon State, anger with how it all just happened, and he had to get out. It's going to take some time to forgive and forget, but I do think, Gonzalez's right, I think you're right on this, that there is a situation where in five years, if Oregon State's in the Big 12 or something like that, 
Yeah, maybe he goes back to Corvallis. Yeah, we'll see about how his recruiting does. A guy with, you know, very little Midwest ties, if any. Uh, I think that factors in a little bit as well. He did say that he he's glad that there's an in-state rivalry to look forward to. I thought the fit was good as well is because, let's face it, there's an in-state rivalry, and I appreciate in-state rivalries. I think those things are meaningful. It's a great thing about college football is to have a rivalry like that. Every spot I've mentioned earlier in my career, I know what that what that is like in being able to compete in that year round. And so that will, again, mean a ton. He has a tough time landing some of these quotes, but uh, it all adds to the authenticity of Michigan State and Michigan. Who, whoever knows, he probably won't coach against Harbaugh. I don't think Harbaugh's coming back next year. That's just my, that's my two cents. That's a Sharon, <laughs> that's a Sharon, right, yeah. that's a Sharon Moore job. So it'll be Smithers against Sharon Moore, I think, uh, starting next year. Who who has more wins next season, Michigan State or Oregon State? Uh, I mean, it's a real early lean here, Judah. We don't even know the schedule for Oregon well, State. It depends on who the quarterback is. Childs at Michigan State, I'd say Michigan State. I don't have a ton of faith that Oregon State's going to be keeping this thing together, like with the players. And the schedule. I mean, who knows what the schedule looks like? Maybe it's an easy schedule. We don't know. Well, I mean, it's, we what no what did Scotty B say? He said he was hoping for six Mountain West Pac-2 games, basically. And six Power 5 games? Yeah. Which I guess five. would be the power. So, sorry, five Mountain West, Pac two, six, Power four, and then a FCS. So, you know, I don't know what the players they'll have left, but the reports suggest everything is pointing to a players meeting at six o'clock tonight. So, in just a few minutes, the players at Oregon State are getting together, and all the tea leaves are saying that Trent Bray will be introduced as the next head coach of Oregon State football at that time. Uh, it's not official yet. but As early as tomorrow, though. But as early as tomorrow, it will be announced. I wouldn't be surprised if it comes out tonight, though. And uh, they get this thing they get this thing moving. So, Trent Bray, in all likelihood, we'll talk about it more on tomorrow's show, for sure. We'll continue to uh, talk Ducks and Dogs in the Pac-12 title game as well. Judah Nube, Stephen Vaughn, in for John Cazano on the Bald Face Truth. Show returns tomorrow, 3 to 6 p.m., and uh, back again Thursday and Friday leading up to the Pac-12 title game in Vegas between Oregon and Washington. Bald Face Truth, not here for a long time, but you know it's a good time.